I hope I don't get sleepy. Put on your Crocs and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 76, I think so, and my name is Jakob. And my name's Randy, and I'm ready to croc and roll. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well played. <laughs> and as, you may, as, as you may have uh, surmised already, Nicolo's not with us today. He's taking a few weeks off. Uh, he's gone on a well-deserved holiday to recharge. And um, I don't know, get some sun, get some vi- uh, vitamin D, or as the Americans like to call it, vitamin D. I never know, I never, never know which one's the preferred way of saying, but you know, get some sun is what he's doing. Uh, so, as you may have also realized from, from you know, the croc buns, we're we're continuing our animal attack summer. We're talking crocodiles this this episode. However, before we do this, I have to do something that I totally forgot to do a few weeks back and I feel like a total doorknob. Um, so I'll, I'll start with a shout out to a new patron, uh, our new patron Malik, who's um, joined our little flock over at patreon.com slash uncutgemspod, where I, um, I, we also strongly suggest you uh, you join us for, for extra podcasts about some extra cool movies that we talk about on, in our spare time. Uh, so... So big shout out to Malik and thanks for supporting us. Also, big shout out to um, as it turns out, my cousin Yannick. <laughs> he uh, supported us with uh, a one-off donation on on, on coffee.com. So, yay! Thanks, guys. And also, I have to I have to say Randy again because Randy, you also donated quite a bit of dough <laughs> to the show <laughs> to the pod. So like, a shout out is also in order. Like I'm not gonna leave you leave you out of this. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, leave, leave me out. It's fine. Uh, no, you're, 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 you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's officially because we're recording this first of July. So Animal Attack Summer is just launched. So the Anaconda episode is just about now available as we're recording this. But as you're listening to this, it's going to be a week ago. It's always tough. Like I, I know how Michael J. Fox felt confused when christopher lloyd was talking about going back to the future i don't i don't get it anyway um so what i wanted to say that in july we're planning the plan is for patreon to release the twin peaks firewalk with me episode which we have recorded however i will i'll say this already this because we had some technical difficulties recording this and i still haven't edited it yet so i'm not sure how long it will take me to piece this together so just bear with us and then because Nicolo's on holiday, uh, our recording schedule is a little bit out of whack. And um, so things will be recorded probably towards the sort of the latter half of the month. So that there's three weeks in, in, in three Wednesdays in July where stuff's going to drop. It's probably going to be more or less either uh, was it 13th, 20th and 27th. Or maybe if I can, if I can figure out how to put the twin, twin peaks firewalk with me together beforehand and maybe on the sixth I'll, I'll i'll drop the twin peaks because that's already recorded and we have to record the other two and this whole 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 month is quite busy 
because we have also the Jaws episodes. I saw four, four, four films to watch as well. Plus the original Jaws I wanted to rewatch because why not? <laughs> it's the season, yeah. It's the it's the Shark Week, right? Like, is it is Shark Week now? No, Shark Week I think is uh, because I want to know because uh, I usually do something on my Facebook for Shark Week, but it's, I think it's usually around July tenth. Okay, so it's and coming up though pretty soon. Shark Week twenty twenty two. Still going to be Shark Week. Shark Week twenty twenty two is July twenty fourth starts july 24th there you go so last week so if oh i think that kind of co- coincides quite quite nicely with the uh, scheduled release of our jaws episode just like we planned <laughs> yes <laughs> yes totally planned <laughs> jesus uh i think i think that kind of plays out nicely but yeah so bear with us a little bit the shows are coming, so Godzilla tie-in is coming. The retrospective about the uh, monster movies from the fifties about they are also kind of socially conscious uh, of the uh, Cold War about the atomic ants and horrors from beneath the sea and whatever. So uh, them twenty uh, the beast from twenty thousand fathoms and it came from beneath the sea also coming in July. So stay tuned for this. Meanwhile. Animal Attack Summer continues. So last week we talked snakes with Anaconda and Anaconda versus Lake. No, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. Is that correct? I think. Yep. Yep. Good catch. Um, <laughs> what a great episode that was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, today we are crocking it up and we're talking about two films about, well, one about a crocodile, one about, about an alligator. So Alligator and Lake Placid. But we're starting with Alligator. Hi, are we live on this thing? I believe so. Oh, nice. You're very pretty. But uh, we're here to talk about alligators. Well, look, alligators respond to sound. They talk to each other, call each other. Listen. What's that? That's the distress call of a young gator that's still with his mother. Do they have a love call? Your alligator is a very romantic creature. It gets the itch, come spring, and it'll give up with a sound, something like this. <laughs> and that will attract another alligator? Well, I'm, I'm hoping so. I'm counting on it. So Alligator was released in 1980, was directed by Louis Teague, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and written by John Sayles, uh, whom you may, if you don't know, he's a, he's a Roger Corman, um, screen, Roger Corman related screenwriter who also penned the script for for a film that we all talked we talked about a few months back, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars he wrote, and also he wrote a film that we're going to be talking about next week which is Piranha um, so anyway <laughs> so Alligator stars among others Robert Forster Robin Riker, Michael Gatso, a bunch of other people in a story about a police detective who's investigating a series of grisly murders uh, where he's finding dismembered bodies kind of just flowing out of the, sewer, the sewers and then he finds himself together with I think the, the name's Herpetologist with a very beautiful herpetologist trying to hunt down 
a massive alligator who uh, just dwells in the sewers in i think it's in chicago although it looks vaguely similar to like the, the sewers look very la like i don't know why i think they shot it in la anyway so that's the film it's about a detective and a, and, and his trusty sidekick uh hunting down an, uh, an alligator well the, the alligator is hunting people down himself itself anyway so the film was the film was basically a part of this uh post jaws rip off time in in hollywood in, almost in hollywood because it's an indie film so it's part of the sort of long the longer string of films like grizzly and orca orca will be talking about and piranha um which were exclusively made to cap- capitalize on the on the massive and and just in just completely surprising success of jaws uh, and then it was made for I think 1.75 million dollars in terms of budget, made six and a half million at the box office, and then holds an almost like an 82% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and then so it was kind of favorably received. Some people really liked it. They liked Robert Foster. Foster. They liked how kind of it uh, it makes use of its of its special effects and and how it's a little bit sort of both Tom and tongue and cheek and kind of sort of b-movie and and a bit serious at the same time clever funny and whatever and this is going to be a theme for the episode roger ebert hated it he gave it one out one out of four and then i quote suggested it would be best to flush this movie down the toilet to see if it also grows into something big and fearsome so you know it's about an alligator who someone flushed down the toilet and it grew into something big big and fearsome because you know of, of other reasons we'll get to it in a second because i've got notes <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it spawned a sequel which i promised myself to watch and i ne- didn't actually end up having time to do this so i, I, I promised myself i'm going to, this weekend so between the f- first and third of july i'm going to sit down and watch python alligator 2 the great alligator and start watching piranhas <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, why not? And I have bats on on Prime on Prime as well, so I just I just thought I'd do this anyway. Let's talk crocs and alligators. Randy, tell me what do you think about alligator? This is the first time that I saw this film. I didn't really know too much about it except that it was from the family of Jaws ripoffs from the late seventies and into the early eighties, and it it very clearly is following uh, the the jaws template you know as closely as it can even in the in the scripting like to the point that you've got a cop an expert trapper and a scientific expert basically who are trying to track down the the alligator so and the bargain bit as well yes and it's the the bargain basement versions of all of them frankly Um, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff to like in here it is very much an indian low budget film uh, so I'm I'm on board with this this here. It doesn't knock my socks off, but there's some really good moments in here, and I look forward to discussing them. I think the film you're sort of hinting at it a bit, sort of walks the line a little bit of a good. It's a decent creature thriller. It's not too far fetched. You can sort of glean some social commentary in there. There's a playfulness in there. There's some serious moments. It's it's held together you know, with pretty flimsy plotting and a stupid romance. Um, and, you know, there's quite a bit of nonsense in there as well. Uh, but it's a it's a short film and it's fun and it's from it's from the era. It feels every bit from the era. And at the end of the day, it, uh, you know, it satisfied me well enough. 
perfectly fine, but I can't get too excited <laughs> about it, but it's perfectly fine. It's fine. I'll, uh, I think for me, it's a bit more than fine. I actually, okay. I haven't seen this. This is something that I, I was aware when I was younger. There was this film about this alligator who dwells in the sewers that was supposed to be 30 feet long. And then I remember at the time, I thought for some reason that it was like a 30 meter long. It's like, what kind of sewers are these? <laughs> this is a big alligator. <laughs> um, so I sat down to watch this um, with uh, without any expectations. I didn't quite know what to expect. And I, what I found was a 70s film. And it feels like it's a 70s. I know it's made in 19... It, it was released in 1980, but it feels like a 70s film and feels feels kind of just... This, this, has this sort of grain and grit of of many films that I like. It, I don't know. Occasionally, it kind of just... Especially when in the sort of police sort of um, station scenes, it kind of feels almost like Bullet, <laughs> which is a 60s film, by the way. But then, oh, also Robert Forster, I have a note, because Robert Ho- Forster carries a holstered gun. Like, he has this sort of... But he looks like Bullet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Although from the opening scene, you can kind of just know yourself. I mean, it, the opening gambit of the film tells you exactly what you're going to get, which is a scene where it's sort of the, it's sort of the, the Friedkin-esque scene of para quasi-documentary footage of someone teasing a, an alligator in a zoo, I think. And they get gored by an alligator and there's blood everywhere and there are children watching and then there's this girl who's fascinated by this by by this creature who just like almost almost took a guy's leg off um and they in and so that's the sort of the realism part it's just it feels like this there's this 70s grit in there and then she immediately proceeds to go to the pet shop and buy herself an alligator because why the hell not of having witnessed this gruesome scene <laughs> Was that, I want one of those in my house. <laughs> uh, and their dad's all kinds of sense, right? Because he's a was he a, was he an animal phobe or something like this? So it's so you kind of know already where you're going to what you're going to get because it's it's going to be a bit of a dumb film, but it's a dumb film that kind of takes itself seriously, and this is the kind of dumb films I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of fun with this. Although I will say this that. Similarly to Anaconda, for instance, which if you if you haven't listened to the episode, then just go there. We both had this. This just this movie kind of evaporates from my mind very quickly. So I had to go and spot check a few scenes to kind of just write down certain notes because I, I wasn't quite remembering what's happening. But overall, I will say yes, it's a it is it is a ripoff of of Jaws. And by the way, Kane Hodder plays the alligator. I don't know if you know that. No. In a few scenes, you could see that the alligator is a human in a suit. And that's Kane Hodder, which is, if you guys don't know, Jason Voorhees. There you go. <laughs> he, was an allig- he was the alligator in Alligator. In a few scenes, because in some scenes they have an actual alligator on a miniature set, and they have an animatronic alligator, which was not working because it's the Jaws ripoff, so it also has to not work. <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, uh, but I, I really enjoyed I, I enjoyed it the, there's running jokes in this film there's 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 a weird plot that's sort of very sort of B-movie-esque with these sort of pharmaceutical companies just dumping dead dogs in a, in the sewers where, they, where they've done the experimenting on them there's a like a corporate villain and there's an alligator just 
eating children. <laughs> it's just great. I don't know. I, I I have massive fondness for, and there is this sort of, as you said, like there's this, this trio of of bargain bin uh, jaws cast. Like there is a p police detective, there is the scientist, and there is there is the trapper. <laughs> <laughs> just although the trapper kind of bites the dust quite quickly, I think, and then as and it's, it's I don't know, it's fun and it doesn't really hurt that the I mean this is gonna be a feature for this entire series. These movies are so so short, and it's it's just glorious. It's ninety minutes start to finish with opening credits taken down, taken off, and then closing credits. It's like eighty minutes of film. It's great. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I'm enjoying that about these. They're very simple and they, and they don't. They don't have enough time to get too ridiculous. Yeah. Right? So, you know, if if they start to go down sort of silly paths, like as, as we see at Alligator, it doesn't really, it's not a major detriment to the film. You know, it, it loses a few points for it. But yeah, it's nothing to hate the film over because it just doesn't have enough time to get silly. So here's a question for you. What, you know, because everyone knows Jaws. And there's a few, and I think there are a few sort of the creature features sort of uh, films that came after that that are a bit more well-known than others. Like Piranha, I think people are more aware of. How I, I don't think this is the same sort of can be, the same opinion can be extended to Alligator. I don't think this is an, a well-known film in any regard. I don't, I don't even feel it's much of a cult classic in any respect. Why? What do you think is the reason? Because it's not as good. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I just like I I don't have a strong sense of what the top ones are. Like I think we could list them off, but I wouldn't know how to rank them myself in terms of you know which one is more prominent. Like I'm sort of aware of Alligator in the same sense that I'm aware of you know Piranhas and Orca and mm -hmm. uh, you know Grizzly and and a few others. To me, these are all you know uh, they're a few beats off. They're you know they're they're down the scale a little bit from what Jaws was. What, Jaws was such an amazing success, and it was a very serious film too. Uh, it was and it was so well crafted this was just really an attempt by filmmakers to cash in on that and there were so many of them i, I sort of lumped them all together so i don't know like I, I sort of thought alligator is in my mind it's it's similar to a piranha I, di I didn't look at box offices or anything but um but it's my understanding that it was sort of a small independent release and you know it, uh what did you say it made made like 10 million or a little less million it made i think yeah, so you know these things are strung together for a couple million, and they're released and make make their money back or a little bit more. And this is also the era too, where the market is changing quite a bit because of home video. So these films are going to have a, a you know a significant life on home video as well. So I expect that you know Alligator would have been very profitable on home video as well, just as as that medium was you know emerging. Uh, so. I don't know what makes one of these stand out. Like Alligator is, it's pretty good. Like it's it's not a total uh, dumpster dive uh, at all. So anyway, I, I don't really have a strong opinion on on that or I mean, a theory. I I don't have one either. I, I just find it fascinating as well that there's um like following the release of Jaws, 
Which at this point, I'm just thinking to myself, we should probably record a podcast about Jaws. Which is great, because it's my favorite film of all time. I just ne- never have... I mean, I've guessed it on one of the episodes of for, of Jaws for a Minute. Shout out to Jaws for a Minute, one of the best podcasts out there. You go and listen. Um, but other than that, I, I don't think I've ever had an opportunity to just like, talk about this film, like start to finish, just go go deep and, walk, and, and talk about it. Oh, feels... I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll... We'll put it on the list. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I just feel like I'm just, I'm just looking at the credits, like say of people like Louis Teague, for instance, and then I noticed that this film is kind of a Roger Corman production, almost. If you think about, it. or maybe it's kind of a, it's it's Corman adjacent, and I'm just wondering whether the how many of these films, because I know Piranha is a Corman production, and this was written by John Sayles, who works for Corman. And then Louis Teague, he also made, for instance, that's his third film, and he did, did Dirty O'Neill. He did The Lady in Red, which was, okay. I think it's a Robert, Roger Corman production. I mean, it says produced by Julie Corman, so I have a feeling that this is Roger Corman's wife. Please tell me. Yes, of course it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and then he also did like, did like Cujo, Cat's Eye, The Jewel of the Nile. So, you know, let's just call it that he's not known for you know, like high quality stuff oh wedlock he made oh that's who now what did he that, make? that's an uncut gem <laughs> what is it wedlock have you not seen wedlock no Gerhauer, about these people who are in prison they and they have these colors that explode oh really so yeah lewis teague is always on sort of the he's sort of on on the edge of these popular concepts Mm -hmm. but he's he's not making sort of the 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 masterpiece in in the group so he's he's the guy they bring in after to uh you know simulate what what they saw in these other films so uh you know bring in bring him in to do Cujo, sort of on the animal and on Mm -hmm. the stephen king thing um cat's eye is that stephen king yes yeah i think it is so and also Joe Dante was supposed to direct Alligator, by the way, and he stepped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joe. What, yeah, Joe Dante is one of these guys. So yeah, as you're as you're saying this, and as we're sort of looking at uh, Louis Teague's, uh, you know, filmography, and the last I heard of him was he did the Dukes of Hazards mm-hmm. TV movie. Uh, so like he's he's just one of those guys that you know seems to you know get jobs and based on doing a project that is happening with or without him and he's just sort of a, a hired gun uh so as as far as alligator goes like yeah this is you know he does he does a fine job with it like it's it's perfectly yeah. fine and it makes sense maybe that he was one of these corman guys i mean it's surprisingly well directed i don't know from yeah. where i'm sitting i don't know it kind of looks competently put together for what it is but then what i'm just now trying to kind of observe is the sort of idea of I mean, you could you could argue that the animal attack films in general just let's just say trace back to the birds, right? Mm-hmm. Or Godzilla, even I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I, I think the birds is like the one of the sort of seminal sort of examples of 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 taking that sort of concept. But then Jaws makes it m- makes it into a bankable sort of box office situation and then i have a feeling that this the idea of turning this into a genre can be in a very large part attributed to to the sort of the corman related people 
like with the piranhas and grizzlies and alligators, they're all common productions. And I'm just w- wondering, is Orca a Roger Corman film? And then let me just quickly check because it's not going to leave me alone, is it? It would make sense. It's a Dino De Laurentiis production. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's even better. So, yeah, Orca is a bit different. But yeah. yeah. But still, all these guys are sort of in on what the trends are of, mm-hmm. of the time. And, you know, that's where this is coming from. It's it's sort of when Halloween becomes a massive success, then that unlocks the door for anyone of a number of slashers, right? So, and mm-hmm. then those end up being fairly bankable, not because they have massive box offices, but they can be made cheaply. And and the the animal attack films, I think, fit that mold too, mm-hmm. where you've got, you know, these these houses like Corman's production house saying, well, geez, we can do those. We can do those fairly, you know, frugally. And, you know, so $6 million plus VHS market is emerging. So th- those can be, you know, highly profitable ventures. So yeah, as, as we're delving into it, it makes total sense and some of these guys like uh like cameron was well cameron does one of the piranhas and john sales has you know he's written a few of these uh films around the time so there's some emerging talent at the time Mm -hmm. too that have their thumbs in the pies on these productions so you know the fact that some of these have some some legitimate quality attached to it you know makes sense you know and and teague does a good job here too like in in his right but i'd say that the the script the script for alligator is is decent in a way that that others aren't as well i and this is something i'll sort of take an aside something i wanted to chat about which um bothers me in quite a few movies when there's a threat to the public um this whole idea of the ecosystem of the film where you've got some sort of you know big crisis or you've got a disaster or you've got a threat that's going on and then the film is equally trying to resolve the big threat to the community but it's also parallel it's trying to find an interest in one or two protagonists and that sort of drives me crazy Um, but there's a beautiful fit there's a synchronicity within jaws that that all works because uh brody is the public safety official for this small island and the community makes sense it makes sense that he's on the boat it makes sense that you've got this one science guy and that can go really crazy at times like when i think of independence day and i think the whole world is at Mm -hmm. risk why do i why is jeff goldblum in here (laughs) yeah why do i care about any one of these people like it's just sort of a faux sense of uh you know plotting and and consequences and it's it's just in my mind i struggle with that quite a bit but alligator sort of works it's sort of contained to the city it's sort of contained to the sewers there's not a greater threat to the public and and that's something so that ecosystem of danger is sort of contained so the protagonists what they're doing for the most part makes sense and that's something that works fairly fairly well here and it doesn't always so that's just a comment i wanted to make and i think that's embedded in sales script as opposed to anything necessarily that teague does um you know you, and you do it's not perfect because you got all this nonsense with the oh 
the pharmaceutical company and mm-hmm. the, the mansion and the wedding. So it sort of goes off in, in weird directions. But for the most part, this is sort of nice and tightly contained and what the characters are doing makes sense and who the story follows as protagonists makes sense in parallel to the greater risk of the public, the alligator. I mean, although I I agree that it's kind of competently put together as in like it's written in a, and by the way, this is, this is something that, um, uh, oh, I, I, I failed to mention also James Horner was supposed to do the music for this, who is also another, another Roger Corman guy. Right. Yeah. Um, but where is where is that note that I had? A few moments later. Because when John Sayles, um, he when John Sayles read the first draft. Oh yeah, that's Frank Ray Perilli wrote the first draft of the film, and he totally just threw it in a bin. Apparently, and this is this is this is from from the little note I have. Like Sayles apparently said it was set in Milwaukee and explained that the alligator grew gigantic because of beer from a brewery going into the sewers. So, <laughs> so it had a potential to be like properly like Lake Placid versus Anaconda stupid. <laughs> yeah, but but it didn't. But equally, it's smart. Not it's not it's not it's not as smart as 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 you could possibly imagine. Anyway, because it only just holds by the thinnest of threads. It has to sort of, I mean, because you almost tend to forget that there's this corporate sort of villain here. There's this there's this sort of scientist who's just I don't know cuts larynxes out of dogs before he operates on them and just dumps the you know uses the pet shop guy to dump the bodies and yeah. this sort. Of, it's just a stupid conceit. But you kind of forget because you just get invested in Robert Forster and this lady who also happens to be the same girl who whose alligator gets flushed in the toilet, right? Coincidence. <laughs> um, coincidence is galore. But I, I just I I, don't, I I feel like for how stupid it is. Like if you actually sat down and look at look like look through the script with a fine tooth comb, you actually start thinking like this this film doesn't doesn't really make much sense, does it? But you get invested because I think I got invested with with in in what Robert Forster's character is dealing with. Probably partly because also he is a very well written character, and I feel like he's re- re- well written because of these little quirks that he has. And I just wanted to kind of quickly touch on this. What do you think about the, him as a lead as well, by the way? I like Robert Forster, the actor. I think his character here, he's a total asshole, though. Um, is, is he a lovable asshole or is he just... <laughs> <nice>? um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know because all I could see is like when, when the film brings in the love interest, right? And he becomes interested in the Robin Riker character who is legitimately gorgeous and her character is really intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, oh man, they, they go on a date and all he does is talk about himself and then it cuts to something mm-hmm. else and then it cuts back and they're still together. And he's talking about the tragedies of his, his uh, previous partner and when he worked in St. Louis. So all he's doing is offloading all of his baggage on her and then she makes a comment and he snaps at her. Don't you understand me so quickly? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, what a dick. <laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, and then the next morning he goes to apologize and it's the worst, most half-assed apology ever. So that's what sort of jumped out at me is like, oh my God, I can't believe how weirdly this is written. But 
he is a fascinating performer and I do like watching him. There's just this whole romance sort of threw me off because I thought it was so uh, silly in a way. Uh, I, I like Robert Forster. I like him for the most part in this, but yeah, I, what resonated was, uh, you know, what a, what a jerk he was. <laughs> Although, Jack, Jack as he is, I have a line written down. Which, what, where was my line? Oh, there it is. Um, so here, there's this scene in there, and this is going to make an appearance. So I'm going to spoil this. is going to appear on my top three list. <laughs> um, because we, when you go, he, he acts like a, uh, like a jerk, and then he just goes like, ah, oh, let's just ruin this. So he goes to um, the woman's mother's house, and he speaks to her mother, and then just like, oh, they just just talk about her and then she comes in and then he just makes these winks and nods at the mother as though like i'm gonna have sex with your daughter right <laughs> and it's like oh let me show you my rock collection right and then and he goes and, like, oh, and just like does this with his eye this is gonna be great and then he just goes there throws her on the bed and he says you're the uh, country's leading herpetologist you have a wonderful mind a doctorate degree and beautiful tits. <laughs> that's his apology. <laughs> that's his. That's yeah. That's how he apologizes. However, I will say this: Robert, he, he like, there's 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 a there's a scene in. Okay, uh, this is gonna. I'm gonna jump into Lake Placid for a second because there's there's a symmetrical line that I noted down where Oliver Platt uh, is trying to woo a um, a police officer, and what he says. Law enforcement is very dangerous work, isn't it? And you have, what was it? And you have such big, wonderful boobs. <laughs> it's a, it's a symmetrical thing. But then I, I'm looking at this at the line that you know Robert Forster delivers and just shows you how he's like almost I don't know. He's the Steve McQueen you can afford. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really feels like this. He's just has this sort of I don't know. Has this sort of like boyish charisma. He's this swagger, and he 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 can get away with saying this horrible stuff about <laughs> like this. <laughs> but then like, to to me, he I mean I don't want, I don't want to say he's redeemed, but he's um he's carried with this sort of the swagger and charisma and the fact that everyone's making fun of his receding hairline as well, <laughs> and that's written into the script. And he just and I think. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. He had actually receding, like he, his hair was falling out at the time. Yeah, he's got awkward, like they joke about male, pa male pattern baldness quite a bit. And I don't even know if that's what it is. I think he just has sort of a weird thinning effect going on. But anyway. It's just, he has this in front of, like, it's just, it just, I don't know. Yeah, It is distracting. It's probably just as well that they, you know, they mention it and bring it up, you know, just to uh, address the elephant in the room because... <laughs> But they do it like four times. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy, the police officer goes like, you know, if you grow it out and just yeah, wave it over, throw it to the side, yeah. <laughs> just go it over and no one will notice. <laughs> it's just, or like the, um, um, what's the guy's name? Sidney Lasik. Um, a guy whom I remember from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, who's the pet shop owner. He goes like, oh, I feel for you. And it's coming out, and he's bald like yeah. a knee. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, I was there too, and he's just like, "What? What do you mean?" <laughs> I think some of this came out of rehearsal or was improv on something because sales was around when the actors were going through this, and he thought it was just a joy. And I think he wrote a couple more of this these lines in there 
there was something where sales mm -hmm. thought it was great and he ended up uh, writing more of it in. So yeah, it's an, it's an ongoing thing and it's sort of cute. Yeah. It works well enough. Yeah. So I don't know. I I'm, I'm a fan of Robert Forster Forster in here. And by the way, like, is there a line in Jackie Brown where they also make a point to reference his hair? Because he had hair plugs, I think. I I don't know. I forget. Not sure. But yeah, he's and and all all fairness, like he he's the only sort of I don't want to say bankable name in the film. There's uh, Michael Gad. Is it Michael? Um, is it Michael Gad? Yeah, Michael Vigazzo. That's um. Yeah, the chief. He's the the police chief. That's the one I I remember I recognized from uh, the Godfather, <laughs> the Godfather Part Two. And Henry Silva um, was around a bit too. All right, yeah, and then you know, and so, but then, because Robin Riker, that was her film debut, as well. But it kind of feels like it. It's not. It almost like it feels like it's just an, a good ensemble cast. It's just representative of like the tail end of the 70s i don't know there's something about this cast that kind of feels like i don't know almost like a list to me for some reason these guys these these people are doing a good job I don't yeah know. no they're doing they're doing fine yeah i i like them it's just you know it's a it's a pool of actors that you know are uh you know working at at this level in b movie productions and yeah it works they work fine I, yeah i like forrester hmm but now, okay, let's let's get into the elephant in the room, by the way, because this is something I wanted to kind of touch on. The actual alligator. <laughs> it's like in Jaws, yep. it's just a shark. Like it's just, oh, it's a... Is it like 25 footer or 30 footer or whatever? And it's just, it's within the realm of possibility that the shark can get this big. Although it will be quite rare. In here, they actually manufacture a reason for an alligator to get massive. How do you feel about this? <laughs> that this whole conceit of because there's a pharmaceutical company that's just dumping some steroids into the, into the sewers. I, I think it's it's the seventies or the eighties. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know all this fancy fare that Corman is is doing, but I don't think it's needed. Like it's it's foolish. It's a distraction. It's sort of it's sort of dumb. I don't think you need it. Like I think you just have a legitimate alligator in the in the sewers. Like I sort of like what the script does is it does this riff on the old legend of there being an alligator in the New York sewers. Like it's sort of a take on that. Mm -hmm. And I I sort of I like that. And I don't think they need to get into into any nonsense about, you know, explaining that this is an upsize, super big alligator. I, I don't think we need that. It can just be a, a big alligator <laughs> like i don't because alligators don't grow that big do they um i don't know i i it's like crocodiles get to be massive right i think alligators are like you know just like the like the like there's an actual alligator in the opening scene and it's just like the size of i don't know human leg just a little bit taller maybe maybe a little bit longer and I'm just thinking, oh, maybe it's not not too intimidating not too, not imposing enough because he swallows people whole yeah you're right the <laughs> The largest reported individual size of a male alligator was 5.8, so almost 6 meters, so 19 feet long. Yeah, so just, yeah. Yeah, that's, but they can work with that. I don't see the need. That's, that's the largest, yeah, you, you could you could get away, or, or at least, I don't know, if you really want to have him 
like make it make it be like chud or something like this where all you need is this alligator being flushed in the toilet with this twilight zone edit and then just ends up in the in the sewer yep and there's a i don't know container of toxic waste that's it like you don't have to explain like i don't i don't i don't need to see a mayor just trying to kind of just get away with stuff i wonder if like it's just that's what it yeah, is yeah i think there's also a bit of a tie into maybe the script and john sales and those involved are trying to get at some sort of a, a satire in, in this and i was it feels that way yeah, yeah as if they have something to say about big pharma and corporate greed and even in the, the final moments there's a bit of a statement that well if people are going to get eaten wouldn't it be nice if it were the rich callous bastards at the mansion <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so I, I think that maybe there's sort of a you know an outside attempt at you know this is satire or you know fanciful thinking of of some sort and and that ties in a little bit but yeah generally speaking i i don't need it it probably wipes out 12 15 minutes that you know i'm never too distracted by it because you just get a couple brief scenes at a time so you know i suppose if you remove it then you're into the situation where you've got a 68 minute film True. That's that also pads out the runtime, right? Yeah. But then there's one thing. In that era, you, you'd have so Alien has the corporate villain. Uh, Jaws even has the sort of like there's the mayor who has his own interests, and then it's all there's all, it's all about the sort of capitalist greed, and and then you could argue that Jaws is a pandemic thriller, right? Um, and then there's I think 1980. Three scanners, mm-hmm. it's 83. Uh, Can't remember now. 81. So that's another film about big pharma just making making experimental drugs and then just not not telling people. It kind of feels like it's part of like a general zeitgeist of the, of the time, and I'm not sure what it is, what it would be tied into, but it just feels like it's it's it almost feels like it's a, okay. Well, we got we gotta have this. This film has to say something. Like films in the fifties would be t- would be talking the about atomic age or, uh, the yeah. atomic age, or there's there, now you have like there, there's there's climate emergencies. There's 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 always something, right? Yeah, and it feels like it, this part it's, of it. It's probably a, a residue of the mistrust issues that people are having with government and huge organizations that are you know off in their castles and sort mm-hmm. of running the world like you know. Uh, kings and queens so heads of big corporations and governments and sort of there's a mistrust i think that um came out of the 60s and 70s that we're we're seeing that's leading to this and you know in true ripoff fashion i i don't think there's too much cutting edge here i think they're just sort of following the lead like you say of other uh, of other films and and tv series at the time like you know this would be the the villainous element if we're to have one it should be you know, a corrupt mayor, you know, it should be, you know, big pharma, you know, and mutations. And so I suppose probably things like, you know, mutations and uh, carcinogens getting into water, that stuff mm-hmm. is, is also happening, I guess, a little bit in that era as well. When was the... When was the DuPont scandal? Ooh, that might be early 80s. That's right. Oh, those that was nineteen sixties, right? But I think it kind of just started coming out, mm-hmm. or maybe later a little bit. Yeah, because they were just. But then I think this this may have been like a whole like 
ingrained fear of this, these, like as you say, like there's these massive corporations where you, all you see is these big, big fancy buildings with very beautiful logos on the outside. Yeah. And there's this sort of idea that they're also getting, they're, they're getting up to some shady stuff. Yeah. And then either they're dumping toxic waste into the ground, like DuPont actually did. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then, you know, or, or, or they're like experimental, like, because it's like blown, blown out of all proportion, right? Like they're experimenting on live animals. And there's, I mean, it's a bit ridiculous when you see like the pet shop guy just walks into this sort of building and then he just walks in, in mid operation. It's just like no security whatsoever. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And I, f- I feel this is part, part, like this, it's blown out of all proportion, that, that kind of fear. And I'm wondering whether this is actually anchored in some, in, around an actual event that people were responding to or is, or is it just the zeitgeist of people, as you say, like kind of having this sort of revulsion well, at the big corporation I, as I, a concept. I think that's it. But also to that, like the, the Minamatis scandal in Japan was in the early seventies. Uh, and that mm-hmm. was where a community, which basically I, as I recall the story, it was a one industry town and there was a, there was a plant that was dumping mercury in the river, which was flowing downstream and people got really sick and people were born with uh, deformities and there are all kinds Mm -hmm. of uh, tragedies. So that was going on from the fifties on, but I think it was, it came out in the seventies. So there was this element of, you know, the corporations, big corporations are going to do whatever they want you know, if, if they're big enough, they can get away with it. So I think that's emerging in the, in the seventies as well. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it just, but, but then at the same time, I feel like it also, I, I don't know. I don't know if, the, if this is on purpose or if this is something like we got to have, have to have, uh, we have to have, um, you know, this element of the story, or we got to have this element of the story. Cause there, there are these elements that kind of just feel like they're, it's like a patchwork of these things but then they together kind of just work quite well to um, i don't know just tell something about the characters or just add some suspense like there's a scene where this guy walks into the police station and says he's gonna blow everyone because he thinks he's the alligator like no i killed them all and it feels like it's um like a response to like the zodiac killer killings where there are these copycats just trying to kind of just claim uh, responsibility for stuff that this guy did, even though they had absolutely no nothing to do with this, they had this sort of different sort of problems. It just feels like there's I don't know. It's that's a really weird scene, and I was yeah. Uh, I'm glad you raised that because I was wondering myself is this is this a riff on something? Is this some sort of satiric take or just some sort of comment? And you're you're probably right. It's probably some sort of take that there's a lot of crazies out there, and I don't know if it's any more mm-hmm. sophisticated than that and you know like it, it could be it could be a response to you know people doing these crazy things like being you know copycat killers or these other things which were i'm going to say maybe started happening when were the first copycat killers you know like i, I don't know don't know yeah. i mean serial killers are I, I don't know if i mean it's difficult to say but because before say 1950s or something like we we didn't have much of a way of knowing whether certain things were connected or not yeah. right because the so forensic science was kind of like not very well developed but it kind of feels that way that this is like a modern invention yeah and uh, yeah but then I'm, I'm at the same time i'm now starting to think 
if you think about this, the alligator as a, well, again, in Jaws, it's difficult to say, but you, it's difficult to say with absolute certainty, but you can actually fish out these elements of, of, of the story and then basically just assume that the shark is an avatar for a serial, serial killer and then there are people kind of just going out on a hunt to find it and kill it. In here, the alligator is a serial killer. He's almost like, you can see how Jaws and Halloween merge into one and then just they kind of become this sort of animal slasher. In, I suppose, later in the 80s and 90s, it kind of just goes into the more sort of ridiculous sort of levels with different sort of sequels for Jaws and uh, and all sorts of animal attack films as well, where it kind of just goes even more nuts. But I kind of feel like this is this is this kind of works almost like that. You could you could imagine that there's no alligator. There's just a guy dismembering people. <laughs> yeah, and it would work because it's tapping into that fear, right? It's tapping into the idea mm -hmm. that here I am, just a normal citizen, going about my business, and there's something lurking in my community that could kill me, whether it's an animal or, you know, some sort of freak that escaped from a mental oh, hospital. Bundy. Almost, <laughs> yeah. said, almost said Al Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like from the marketing of films and from, you know, these production houses that are saying, okay, well, let's do something that could be, that, let's do something that could really find an audience. That's, that's what, these successful films are, are tapping into Halloween and Jaws. They're, they're tapping into mm -hmm. a fear and they're, they're bringing a bit more naturalism to it. The way things were produced and shot uh, in the seventies. So there's a little bit more of a, almost a documentary real world uh, type of sensibility to some of these threats. And those are popular and that's just what we're, that's what we're getting here. So yeah, that, that makes sense. Like that's sort of the target here is to, you know, make normal people mm -hmm. feel sort of sort of scared in their own hometown sure yeah but but even other when you actually then once you realize oh there's an alligator in here and then this film eventually turns into an overt and it's like here's an animal on the loose and just kills people and just goes into ridiculous lengths because it's so big that it just swallows people whole also on some level i feel this may maybe an inspiration for a few scenes in jaws 3 just gonna say uh, <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned for that discussion. stay tuned for yeah. more <laughs> stay tuned for more but i'm just thinking to myself like the whole I idea of this alligator there's there, there are these again because it's again either an animatronic sort of creature there's i don't maybe this is just me i have a fondness for this thing for, for this kind of thing for whenever i see this alligator on screen and, and for a very lar large amount of time you barely see it i was just going to say that's but the one, key to it working yeah. here They've mm -hmm. got that sensibility that Spielberg had, that Ridley Scott had in Alien. Let's not show our whole hand. Let's keep this creepy. Let's keep the threat uh, sort of bubbling underneath. And for a long time, an alligator, you get a close-up of an alligator's eye so that you know he's present mm -hmm. watching somewhere. And then largely it's seen the jaw. Yeah. So, you know, there's... Teague does a good job here keeping a lot of this movie in, in shadows for, for a long time, and it makes it work. I mean, and, ev and even the sort of the miniature uh, scenes, you could see, okay, well, blatantly, this is a smaller alligator, and then the, the cars are fake when it's just walking down the street, and it's just yeah. a small alligator with fake cars. But it works. Yeah. I don't know. If it, yeah. it, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have a feeling this... 
it's a you know you can pull this off with any old animal i would i would argue that a snake is not a good animal to pull this off say anaconda for, for me fails in this regard like so when i see this animal just roam around it doesn't look threatening it doesn't look intimidating especially the i don't know alligator in contrast to anacondas growls <laughs> for reals <laughs> yeah and yeah and i don't know i just i, I just feel that this is um as far as ripoffs go, as ripoffs of Jaws, this is this is a you know a solid effort. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, I agree. Now, do you think if you see more of the alligator, the uh, the alligator that's on the hunt, if you see more of him earlier on in the first mm-hmm. twenty minutes, do you think the the film holds up as well? Because I, I don't think it does. No. I think you have the great opening gambit with the you know the the girl and the mom watching the show and the the croc wrestler you know gets attacked like that has an impact that's a great moment and uh then you don't really see much of the the croc in sort of the mm-hmm. the present day of the movie and i think that 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 pays off because then sort of the last half hour or so you do get quite a bit but you're sort of on the ride at that point mm-hmm. i mean i totally agree i mean the beginning the beginning on its own might as well just make a note for later the beginning on its own is ingenious to me because it feels like, like like William Friedkin would have directed it. It feels like it's a documentary footage at a zoo where something goes wrong for some reason and looks phenomenal. But I t- totally agree that but keeping the animal in the shadows and keeping it... There are a few scenes where you can see it walk a little bit, but you can sometimes see a bit of a jaw. You can see its shadow, especially when, when Forrester and his deputy they go into the into the sewers to kind of look for it and they find pockets of methane i'm just like this if, if this is a sewer that has so much methane that you have to put a gas mask on like this this whole city is a big explosion hazard i'm gonna say this <laughs> yes this, i was gonna ask you as the scientist in the room does this make sense this amount of no methane. not even a little it's like i mean the guy goes like Methane, put your mask on. Like, based, first of all, methane doesn't look like a fog. Like, you won't even know. It'll be just like, Bob, why are you, why are you not breathing? Oh, okay. And now I'm dead too. <laughs> that's, that's that's methane for. That's that's why they had canaries in the gold mines, right? Like yes. Because you know, like once, or like in the in the coal mines, right? Because like when when the canary kind of just dies, that means like there's methane in here. We should probably run. <laughs> Because methane's like lighter than air, so you just hang the cage up quite high up and then see whether then do you have to sort of methane sort of deposit trapped somewhere up there. Makes no sense. And, like and it doesn't sense. do anything for where the story goes or for a suspenseful scene. Like it doesn't build anything except maybe it amplifies an explosion at the end. <laughs> it does. That, yeah, it, it's a it's a che- it's a it's a Chekhov's methane pocket because it's just like, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come in handy because there's also a bomb, a Chekhov's bomb strapped to a guy yeah. that's a radio. And also, I think it serves for, for the purpose of just one suspenseful scene where the alligator's hunting these two people down and uh, Forster's trying to put his mask on and, and it's taking forever. Mm-hmm. That's the suspense where he's trying to put a mask on and, and then he loses his friend in there. Not even his friend; it's just an acquaintance. <laughs> but in terms of like like real life, and I can never take science seriously for in films. Like it's just it's a bad it's just a bad day. 
Yeah. It's just now it doesn't work like this. There are a few films that show science more or less realistically for weird reasons. Like Primer is one of them where you kind of see like people in labs working the way people would work. Uh, but in here, it's just you know, like as I said, like just a pharmaceutical company, like it waltz in with a with a with a trolley full of dogs, and then they'll be just kept in cages and with their larynxes cut, and they're, they're, they just they bark like, it's it's just so ridiculous, no standards whatsoever. Okay, this is not how you treat animals for and. And I'm pretty sure, like, whenever... I, I don't know what kind of experiments they do, but, like, I don't know. H- having worked in the industry, I kind of know when... I don't know when, when people... Like, I don't know, when you do, like, talk studies on, on dogs. Dogs survive, and then people, you can adopt a dog after after after, after, a, after a, a study. And they live for many years <laughs> after that. <laughs> it's just... They just, you know, they get a few pills, and... <laughs> and, and, and then they're free to go. <laughs> Because the the assumption is that you know, like once you give something to a, to an animal, that that you have a good enough, you know, <laughs> I don't know, understanding this well, you're gonna be safe. Right? You don't just dump corpses in the local sewer. <laughs> no, you don't dump corpses in the local sewers, <laughs> especially in a very inconspicuous way, because he just goes in there with this trolley full of yeah, corpses. It's a shopping cart. Oh my god. <laughs> Of course, and he's. And by the way, I really like the underwater aqua park. I'm not. Yes. I'm like, when you when you when you said the phrase in the Judgment Night episode, this is one of my favorite phrases now to look for in films like the underwater, the underground aqua park. When you when he goes into the sewer and there's this drop, I want to say like ten meters yeah. down into this river of sludge. Like who built yeah, this? Yeah, this this one looked legit, and there was minimal lighting, and there was. Uh, crap and people were falling off of little ledges because they couldn't tell there was a ledge because of the water. Yeah, that this one made sense. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know how the how the alligator would be uh, be would, would be able to ambush anyone because it's so massive and you can see like when I mean fair enough they're they're all wearing these sort of you know like massive sort of like fisherman boots but the water is ankle deep so for all I care this alligator is just out in the open it just has wet feet because <laughs> it's massive <laughs> and they're like act surprised when you know like sydney lasix just i don't know disposing of a dog that just plopped on the ground instead of into the water so he has to come down and just put it in the water <laughs> and gets surprised by this massive animal <laughs> alligators so alligators can run 32 kilometers per hour just scary thought which is it's a scary thought when you think about it right this massive animal just coming at you 32 kilometers an hour yeah but once you see it so when do you see it in full i think it when it emerges from the like there's this baseball scene which looks absolute garbage <laughs> like there's where <laughs> diorama gets messed up <laughs> It can like just emerges from the from I mean, although there's a, there's a good scene in there when when it starts just attacking the city and then they have this sort of I think it's a Halloween party or like yes. some kind of a fancy dress party and they want to get have a boy walk the plank and just oh we're pirates and, and there's this massive animal in the pool and just eats the boy yeah <laughs> so good yeah oh. that scene will be mentioned it's a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so many good things that will will be 
and we've we've well, got a handsome contribution to the 70s and 80s cliches as well with a boat exploding and car flips and we do cranky we do. cops and the sewers all kinds of good stuff in here uh, the, the um, what was it the garbage men just like blocking the road and this old lady in her station wagon just standing right on the manhole yeah. sorry person hole <laughs> <laughs> I was I don't know I, I I was told some some years ago the word manhole is insensitive. Sewer access hatch. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just and then um Robin Riker goes like this fucking move lady and she's like, What do you want? And just like shoves Walks her over the and, door just and just the shoves the lady over in her own car. <laughs> It was such a great scene. I I don't know. I I, I like that That's scene because thing it's... from the seventies and eighties actually that I thought as a grown up I would experience more is you know someone would approach my vehicle and try to commandeer it from me, <laughs> pull me <laughs> out or shove me over and take over the vehicle. Like someone flashes a badge at you and then just like where's my car? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's gonna trash yeah. my car. It's never happened it in my happen. adult life. <laughs> Maybe, maybe because we all we live in these sort of you know like utopian sort of societies away from from the madding crowds. I don't know. We should probably ask Jack because he lives up north in England <laughs> in this sort of, with all the wildlings. Like maybe this is where this happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll run it by him. But I know I have not encountered it. <laughs> Because you live in like the sort of the sort of the quiet, civilized part of Canada, so yeah. you know. Yeah, true. I have, I have, don't have too many, too many hours on you know the busy the busy city streets. So maybe it does happen. See, there, you, there you go. Maybe in the mean mean streets of Toronto. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is where it happens. But it's like, stop! I'll 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 come and doing this car. It's like, no, I'm, I have my groceries in the, in the boot. <laughs> It's just, it's just horrible. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Well, Forster gets called a communist, by the way, at some point as well. Yes. I don't know why. That's my note. It's just Forster is called a communist, and I don't remember why. Uh, was that at the <laughs> press conference? So he's doing like a, a press conference appearance, answering questions. At, oh, right. At, but that's a good scene. Yeah. I like yep, the scene. That was sort of good. That was a decent Very moment. 70s. No comments. Yeah. Can you comment on this? No comments. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this may be a good idea to kind of just quickly just close the book on. Unless you, there's something else you want to bring to the table. I, I feel we can transition to Lake Placid if you... I Yeah, just to comment about the the use of the, the animatronic. I think to go back to that, we were sort of... Uh, snapping at the heels of that topic i i liked the 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 big model that they had the the big animatronic they, they called it ramon right that was that was its name mm-hmm. what a great name for an alligator yeah. call it ramon. so yeah I, th- I thought that worked pretty well and they used it fairly effectively and i thought it was pretty pretty strong like and and i would compare it to something like jaws where you know you can tell the jaws mm-hmm. shark is is not real but it's effectively used and fairly briefly used the inside of the mouth looks pretty pretty good i thought it was fairly effective a few scenes i didn't quite know whether because I, I i knew ahead of time for some reason i mean because i i read this sort of like bit of tidbit a bit of trivia 
the cane holder was the alligator. So I was wondering, like, I'm watching this. I'm just like, am I watching an animatronic puppet now? Or am I watching cane holder operating something in a suit? I couldn't possibly tell sometimes. Especially, in, uh, I don't know. My money is on in in the wedding. It's probably, there's, there's probably a few scenes where there's a, there's a guy in a suit. Yes, probably, because they hide it fairly well. The alligator is walking walking along and you see it but you it's behind several chairs and tables and so i wonder if that's mm-hmm. uh that's the suit and the animatronic i i think is largely like the head yeah i feel like when you see shots from almost from the perspective of the alligator but seeing it, the side of its of its mouth yes. i think this is where you see the animatronic sort of I, I agree. The robot. Yeah, I wonder if the the animatronic is just sort of half the creature, uh, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. it could be quite. Because uh, again, because I'm I'm just thinking like, is this if this is all animatronic? It looks so great, and then the film costs absolutely zero dollars to make. Uh, did Stan <laughs> so, Winston do this? I think he did. No, Stan uh, Stan no, Winston did Lake, uh, Lake Placid. Placid. That's why I have that in mind. Yeah, you're right. He, Stan Winston did Lake Placid. Which is a good segue, right? Anyway, so how about we just do quickly top threes and bottom threes for, for, for Alligator and move on? How about that? Sure. Yeah. Do you want to start with final thoughts? I'll give you my final thoughts. Go on. Go on. Yeah, go on. Let's do it. Yeah. So just to summarize, this is a perfectly fine film. I'm really enjoying going through uh, these animal attack films. I love that they're so short. Alligator is largely fun. It doesn't survive any type of a thorough picking because there's a lot of stupidity in here, especially with the, you know, these adjacent plot with, you know, big pharma and a wedding and these, this millionaire marrying off his granddaughter or whatever that's all about. And this, you know, crazy mayor, you know, just trying to win votes and suck up to the rich guy in town. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But for the most part, for moment to moment, this works pretty well. Uh, I, well, also, just to throw this comment out here, did you notice that Robert Forster must have changed? Like, he has the same sweater, it seems, the same style sweater, but he's got like eight different colors, blue and purple mm-hmm. and pink. And I just thought that was sort of bizarre. It seemed like he was always changing his sweater. And I don't know why that's in my mm-hmm. final thoughts. But, <laughs> but then again, he looks like someone, like, what you see his apartment, by the way, and then he doesn't look like someone who lives in this apartment. You don't think? posters on the wall. Like, he doesn't look like a guy who just spends his Saturday shopping for posters and then <laughs> Sunday just putting them up. Yeah, maybe. He makes the comment that he has to clean it up with a shovel someday. There you go. I mean, unless he used to be married and this is what, you know, mm-hmm. his, uh, his wife didn't just what happened and she left him because he was married to the job more than he was to her i don't know yeah. but it kind of feels like this he's a guy who has like three sweaters in his in in his closet and then just he uh, does the smell test every morning it's like i think that one's still usable let's do this yeah <laughs> just found it fascinating he's got the same sweater but he's got a purple one he's got a burgundy one he's got a pink one he's got a blue one he's got a bright red one he's got a gray one and I'm a- i wonder if this is like an uh conscious homage to bullet because i think bullet was also wearing these kind of oh, yeah? kinds of like sweaters <laughs> i don't i'm gonna I'm I'm google this one minute 37 seconds later yeah he's just, he has this black turtleneck 
He doesn't. He doesn't. Doesn't have turtlenecks, does he? Yeah, Boot was wearing turtlenecks. Okay. Okay. I withdraw my comment. <laughs> and they're mostly solid <laughs> colors. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not it. It's not it. All right. No. Okay. So yeah, that those are my final thoughts. Yeah, it's worth checking out. It's a it's a fun film. It's definitely a product of its time, but uh, you know, it's it's worth checking out. And there's some decent decent fun in there. Yeah, I agree. For the most part, I agree. Although I was, I'll, I'll go a step further and say I really kind of enjoy the. There is a seventies energy in in, in here, and the, and the, combined with this trashiness of, of of how it's made, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. It. This is a movie that I'm I'm just geared to like, and I I won't hear different. Like if people say this is stupid or like this doesn't roll the way it's supposed to, I don't care. <laughs> It's I don't know. It's fun and it's it super helps. It's so, it's so short. Mm-hmm. Dumb bit of bit, bit of storytelling. I don't care. Robert Forster carries this film for me. The alligators absolutely solid. And a few stupid scenes towards the end that the sort of chase on the boat can absolutely just go and do one. <laughs> you could resolve this in a different way. But overall, it's there's just something about filming these fake animals or men in suits animatronic sort of puppets and and maybe min like miniature sets with smaller animals which again is like jaws right <laughs> a smaller shark in a small cage um and then having these people try and try and go and find find it and kill it it's just something primal about this kind of entertainment and i like how i'm now i'm starting to see how the sort of archetype of less the archetypes left by jaws and the birds and and whatnot that came before are now merging with the sort of the slasher era of late 70s to early 80s and into becoming something like a serial killer that's just an animal i i don't know i i I like this film a lot i'll say this even even though it's stupid at times and we're just about to find out how so (laughs) let's just do this Top three moments from 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 alligator. Just strap yourselves in. All right. Okay, I will start with. I made. I may have a note here. Great sewers, very realistic. <laughs> <laughs> There's an honorable mention right there. A shout out to film coverage of actual sewers. It seems. <laughs> um, Henry Silva has this scene where he's being interviewed by this lady, this reporter. And he's totally mugging the camera. So this is a bit of silliness that sort of worked for me. Yep. He says, you're a pretty girl. And then he starts making like a croc hunting sound, is it? And then a croc mating sound. So ridiculous, but it sort of works. Um, another honorable mention, but uh, this, is a, this is a strong one, a strong shout out. I love how on the sides of the sewer walls, there are two instances where it says Harry Lime was here. And Harry Lime lives. So shout outs to uh, the third man, which is I thought was really cool. Oh, was that, that? Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Nice. Yeah, and it was in. It, there was one where yeah, it's it's two different uh, <laughs> two different vandalizations, two different graffiti's too. So sort of neat. <laughs> okay, number three. So the brief scene where the gator attacks the partner, where they're hanging on the ladder just under the manhole, the Mm-hmm. sewer access hatch and that's a great gator moment you just sort of see a little i think you see a Where just brief head grabs him and t- grabs him and pulls him down and you see him dragged off great moment uh number two 
the opening with the guys at the tourist trap, the alligator show, uh, where the mm-hmm. where the guy uh, the guy gets attacked, the croc wrestler actually gets attacked and and hurt, uh, and then finally the scene, which I think is the best scene in it, and the film shows quite a bit of balls to do it, is this walk the plank scene, the alligator has left the sewers and he it's explained to us by the is it herpetologist is that what she is who studies reptiles i think i think that's the word although i can't i can't vouch for it (laughs) but she explains to us that this this alligator is going to be hiding somewhere wet and sure enough he's in a residential pool and there's this party and these kids unknowingly are bullying this child and they get him to walk the plank and there's no lights on then the mom turns on the lights and then just as they're pushing them into the pool they see the croc there's this look of terror on their faces as oh my god i can't believe we just did that i can't believe this happened and they're scared it's a legitimate great moment it's my number one it's like a, it's the echidna kid moment if you're, if we're ripping up jaws right yeah <laughs> um good moments okay what I have is I had a shout out to the uh, guy making gator mating calls on camera. <laughs> yeah, um, way to go, Silva. Uh, so let's just say, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it off because you because you <laughs> mentioned this. Um, okay, the running joke of Forster's thinning hair is just I don't know I'm here for it because <laughs> there's like three or four people who make this remark towards him. It's so weird. The opening of the film, the Friedkin slash docu style, the moment where this the guy gets gored by an alligator. And by the way, what a stupid decision it was for him to just oh let's just go and pat it on the back. And what do you what did you expect? <laughs> let's poke it with <laughs> a stick. <laughs> and then oh, oh, I was although I will have to say that I expected him to lose his leg or something like this because there's a scene later on where someone just gets I don't know dumped outside of a speed speedboat and they just. Uh, alligator grabs him and just <laughs> pull him up, and his legs are gone. <laughs> so uh, that's not a good moment for him. Um, yeah, so there's that the running joke, the um, the docu style business, and I did. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna leave it off the list. The sort of the line that Forster del- delivers, you know, about beautiful tits. <laughs> just a curiosity but there's an absolute great scene and there's two moments in the same in this in the span of 10 seconds when forster goes into the um in the same sequence that you mentioned but this is not the ending but the beginning of their encounter with the alligator so when they're looking at the map and the light shines and then behind them there's the alligator on the platform you can see his his mouth you can see the teeth and there is just there yes and then exactly five seconds later i mean okay you could you could argue that logically makes no sense because you just you spot him behind him and then the alligator probably just runs all the way across because because then surprise them they it it, it, it surprises them around, around the corner but this the actual act of surprise because you see is i think it's just the animatronic head just like getting wheeled out and then just opens like this and then you're like ah. <laughs> great scene like this is actual actually suspenseful moment because you, you get to witness the alligator very cleverly just foreshadow it's there and they don't know you know it's there hitchcock and i like this stuff like and this is where jack goes like i'm not listening to this <laughs> but um, but 
I I like this. It's a great scene. Anyway, bottom three moments. Let's do this. Bottom three. I'll, I'll just mention this. The whole idea of an alligator as a pet is absolutely preposterous. <laughs> so not only did we just witness this alligator show where the alligator handler, you know, got attacked and seriously injured. Well, in the gift shop on the way out, they thought, well, we should get one of these for our terrarium. You know, it's just, oh it's yeah, so stupid. And the and the, lit, the the little rocks it has in she, this girl has in the like this not this is not a properly set up terrarium. Like it has these like colored beads. Like what kind of a like what kind of an animal would live there? <laughs> it's very dry in there too. Yeah. Was, so anyway, just just to mention that that whole idea is crazy. But at the same time, I guess. If she doesn't buy the alligator, then we don't have a movie because that's the alligator that gets flushed. Anyway, um, the reporter in general, I think that maybe sales script is trying to make a comment on how ridiculous the, the media is at times. But the reporter, and I don't even know the actor's name, I just find every time he showed up on screen, he was dreadful. And he was just making dumb comments and he was sort of annoying. But there's one specifically, he's talking to the nurse, he's trying to get information on Robert Forster's character, who was just discharged. Oh, as he says, what are meds? And he goes, what are meds? <laughs> it's like, is, is this a commentary a on note. how doltish the media are? I have a note. I have a note. What are meds? Journal idiot. Yes. <laughs> so, I, sorry, I had to, I had to slam that, that character in general. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Uh, yeah, so... Okay, so I mentioned that Forrester, yes, he's great. He does he does carry the movie. I do agree with that. But his character is a total dick when it comes to uh, this this romance. So at one point, he's just been let go of the force because there's another cliche. That's just what happens at a certain point. <laughs> they have, they're let go from the force. Just and he fired him on the spot. <laughs> and he goes to Riker's class because she's teaching herpetology, I guess. And he knocks on the window of the door and he motions like, come on, come on. And she sort of like waves him off. Like, can't you see what I'm doing here? And he knocks again and he motions, come on, this is really serious. So she comes, cut to the next room like a minute later. And he's just saying, well, you know what happened at the office today? They fired me. Wasn't really a surprise. Like he's just unloading his it's bullshit like, on her. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a class in here. <laughs> there are students waiting for me. And she probably thought, you know, there's something urgent going on with the case. And they found the alligator. Nope. I got fired. Just wanted to let you know. We're not even dating yet. But, you know, I had to unload <laughs> my, narcissist is what he is. my emotional baggage on someone. So anyway, that's my number two. And number one, hmm. it's set up as a jump scare. So that's fine, I guess, in its own right. But there's this POV shot in the sewer and Robert Forster is bending over. I think he's going through a bunch of the trash. Oh, get the, the butt squeeze. And yeah, it's almost like you can almost hear, nah, 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 nah. You, you, you got that tone. And the camera is creeping up on Robert Forster's ass. And his partner, this rookie cop, just honk, grabs him in the butt. So stupid. <laughs> I mean, so dumb. <laughs> and it's a rookie. Uh, doing that to like a veteran well, he may a, be a rookie but it's sense. a professional it's a professional move <laughs> he may be a rookie cop but he's a professional ass grabber because he grabbed and squeezed like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's my that's the low of the lows no oh, about you okay 
Oh, I've got plenty, so I'm I'm, I'm gonna you know because okay. Me methane, put on your <laughs> put on your mask. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, okay. <clears throat> this is um, okay. This is a little one, it, and 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 it's blinking. You miss it, and the police station. The Forster is talking to these guys, and he's trying to find someone who to go with him to the source. Yeah. And before he finds this guy who's just because like, no one wants to go with him, and just he asks like, "Are you?" And there's this guy filling out paperwork with a shotgun in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> He's like at his desk filling out paperwork and he has a shotgun in his left hand. Like, what's going on? <laughs> was he? Was this, was this before or after the guy comes in with the bomb? Maybe he was just on edge after that incident. I think it was just before maybe, because yeah. he recruits this boy, gives him um, the wellies, and as as the boy changes into the in, into the shoes, the guy That's walks in. Right. Yes. He had just uh, recruited yeah. the ass grabber. <laughs> just recruited the ass grabber. It's like, and could you imagine? It's like, I'll go with you. Because he just ogled them. It's like, that yeah, ass. Nice bum. I need to squeeze <laughs> that bum. <laughs> what a predator. There are two predators in this film. One is an alligator and one is a police officer. A young officer. blonde cop. <laughs> what, dude? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, thankfully, he gets eaten by an alligator, so you know he didn't get to squeeze any more acid. And there's one that I'm really passionate about. The sort of idea, the corporate villain, like the scientist, is an absolute dick. I don't like this character at all. And then just he, he's always busy with work. Like, can't you just stop using the microscope for a half a second? Speak to the man. No, he's busy making discoveries, or he, you know, and this whole concept of cutting. The, of the uh, dog larynxes. <laughs> the, this this whole co the corporate conceit is just makes zero sense to me. I don't, I can live with it. It's fine. But just make, like when you think about it, it makes no sense. Everyone at the university knows that this is what they're doing and no one tells anyone. <laughs> By the way, it's like, oh, they, they've been dumping dog, dog corpses into the sewers for years now. <laughs> yeah. That's not... why the pet shop guy comes here. It's a side gig. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's how the pet shop, the pet shop actually as, was established as a business because you know, and he also just has this sort of moment. The pet shop guy has a moment where he just grabs dogs off the street. <laughs> he goes like, "Yay, doggy, doggy, doggy!" <laughs> <laughs> just grabs him and just yeah. pawns it off to this guy who just, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remove his larynx and just cut him open in two seconds. Don't worry, it's in the other room because I don't even wear gloves to do this." It's just such a ridiculous conceit. So it's like a multitude of scenes yeah. to just add to this. Like it's, it almost feels like it's a, you know, there's a science element in like planet terror. Like if the scientists, how this happened? Like this is this feels kind of like taking out of that <laughs> philosophy of storytelling. I'll I'll add so a, anyway. sorry I'll add a comment too because you reminded me of the scientist. Uh, I think Robert Forster walks in is asking him questions and he's he's giving an injection to a cow and forces what kind of cow is this you know meaning like a holstein or what are we talking about here like a dairy cow what what it's a calf <laughs> it's just like when you say what kind of cow, cow is it you don't say it. it's a baby cow you know <laughs> it's a scientist as well 
<laughs> and a scientist makes this comment. Yeah. Anyway. What an what an idiot! Like this, it almost feels like they they I don't know they they give out PhDs these days, <laughs> like some like samples of 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 tea in a supermarket on a Sunday. Like I don't know. I weep for humanity if this is the future of science. Anyway, it's time to move on. So how about we oh, talk that about your, that? Was your three Crocs? Yep. Now, that was my three. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I was really passionate about this sort of portrayal of science. It's just ridiculous in general. I don't pay attention too much to like portrayal of science, but this, this, this is just this takes the biscuit. Like this is really bad. <laughs> um, even though I really like the film, but this, this, this whole thing could just easily go. Like I could just live with a container of toxic waste being somewhere dumped in this in the sewer by I don't know who, the government. I don't care who. Someone in a black suit. Um, it will be fine, but they just it becomes a story in its own right, and then you kind of forget halfway through because they just get eaten by, at a at a wedding, <laughs> half of them, and then now we're on a boat, and then there's the walking the plank, and then all of a sudden like, it's gonna go it's gonna go west. If I was an alligator, I would go to the river. Like of course they find it. <laughs> it's, just it's just ridiculous. Anyway, it's time to transition to Lake Placid. We don't mean to invade your privacy, but was he ill? Was he sick? Was he swallowed? Sure. Uh, Mrs. Bickerman, the reason why we're here, a man was fatally attacked yesterday by some animal in this lake. Do you know how your husband died? Oh, yes. I killed him. You killed him? Oh, yes. Uh, and how would you have accomplished this, ma'am? Well, he was very sick, and, and he refused to go to a doctor. He'd be coherent one day and incoherent the next. And, well, one coherent day, he asked me to end his suffering. And he kept insisting and insisting. And then, well, finally, I just gave in. And I hit him on the head with a skillet, then buried him under the bulkhead. Well, dig him up if you don't believe me, Sherlock. So, Lake Placid was directed by Steve Miner who I think, among others, um, directed, I think, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I think. Uh, no, sorry, what am I saying? Friday the 13th, Part 3 and 2, House, he did Warlock and a few, Forever Young, a few other things, and Halloween H2O, just before Lake Placid, by the way. And then largely um, he went to TV, like he's been busy in TV. I think so, yeah. Right after Dawson's Creek? Thing? And I think he did a lot of pilots for TV. So he told after Lake Placid, he went to TV and did a lot of series pilots and has resided there since, I think. Yeah, I think he's just mainly in TV. But then he started in this sort of schlocky slashers because mm -hmm. uh, his debut was Friday the 13th, part two. Um, so, yeah, so Lake Placid is directed by Steve Miner and written by David E. Kelly. I don't know whoever this person is. Ooh, David E. Kelly? Um, yeah. David E. Kelly, big background in is TV. Is he also a big TV guy? Al Ali McBeal? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Miss. Yeah. So he's, a, so he's a TV writer. But anyway, the film stars Bill Pullman, Bridget Fonda, Oliver Platt, Brendan Gleeson, Betty White, and the rest doesn't matter. Like You have to remember these five. <laughs> uh, that's all this is about... Um, this place called Black Lake, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Maine, where um, 
there's a crocodile in the lake and then Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda and Oliver Platt and Brendan Gleeson all and all band together to find it and that's the film <laughs> it's just fi- finding finding a man-eating crocodile in Maine so <clears throat> so that was also a bit weirdly sort of I don't know I think it's alligator was better received than Lake Placid was because I think that it was more overtly hated by critics i think it stands at like 47 percent it was made by the way for like 27 to almost 30 million dollars made banks or made twice its budget so i think it's just just about made it made enough to kind of convince someone to make five sequels um <laughs> i don't know roger Ebert hated it gave it again one out of four it's you know describing it as a completely wrong-headed from beginning to end and then listed among his 10 uh, worst films of the year but some people really liked it and there's one guy uh, Andrew Collins at Empire gave it 4 out of 5 and told and said you can enjoy Placid as a straightforward camping holiday nightmare or as a sly ironic take on the same it works deliciously as both so does it work deliciously as both is it an ironic take or is, or is it a serious croc, film, croc movie what do you think I don't know. Oh, and by the way, Stan Winston did effects, but we mentioned this before. Uh, and then the shark, and the shark, oh, the croc that wasn't working either. So it's it's just a pact of life. When you when you make a film about an animatronic animal, it's not going to be working. Anyway, Randy, what do you think about this? About Lake Placid? So this is the second time that I've seen this. I saw this in theaters in 1999. I don't really remember it that that well, um, but this time around. I thought it was good. Watching it this week, in fact, I think it's one notch below brilliant. This is totally my jam. I think this is fantastic. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's an animal attack film. So in a way, the bar is low. There's minimal expectations, but the animal attack sequences here, they work. There's good suspense. Uh, I mentioned this issue I have when there's a greater threat to the community, this ecosystem, this ecosystem of the terror and the panic and the public risk. It works here because everything, like you say, is connected really just to these five or six characters. Um, so it make everyone's involvement makes sense. It's it's not too crazy. It's clearly modeled off of Jaws, but maybe even more so Jurassic Park. Um, you know, coming a few years mm-hmm. after it. But this cast is brilliant. I think that we've got casting here that speaks to the 90s flavor of casting and acting even. I think there's this sense of, you know, you want the the lethal weapon type of snappy one-liners and, you know, enthusiastic star power. And you don't really have an A-list cast here, but you have a B-list cast that is hitting way above their weight class. Like they're awesome i really enjoyed this and it's 82 minutes so it was just awesome so yeah i like this and yeah you've got this crisp dialogue in here which i i wonder i guess we'll probably get into it it's probably the responsibility of uh, david e kelly um because i used to watch quite a bit of ally mcbeal i remember watching that that was in fact robert downey jr's one of his comebacks from rehab he won a golden globe and got an emmy nomination i'm going to say um, after his one year of uh, Ally McBeal. And Ally McBeal had some snappy dialogue, and that was the whole idea. He also did uh, mm-hmm. Boston Legal, which 
I enjoyed the little bit of it that I saw with William Shatner and James Spader, and they had some great dialogue and, and character development. So I wonder if that's what we're seeing in some of the relationships that we we see on screen here between mm-hmm. uh, Bridget Fonda, Brendan Gleeson. Like, there's great chemistry and there's great sassiness, and it just really works for me. This was, uh, yeah, this was a well spent 82 minutes. I gotta say. Oh. It's fewer than 82 because there's three minutes off the top that you can shave off and yeah. there's four minutes of end credits. So it's it's a 75 minutes <laughs> film. <laughs> and it's 75 minutes well spent. <laughs> because I adore this film. I mean, I had so much... I watched it yeah. twice because last week we were awesome. talking about Lake Placid versus Anaconda and you were, go, you were both like, oh, I'm going to watch Lake Placid for this. You got to you gotta see Lake Placid. It's fine, I'll watch it. And then I watched it again yesterday. <laughs> it's such a great film. I don't understand why this this people are sleeping on on, on this. And by the way, I have to say uh, just a general remark. I, I forgot for some reason I failed to do this because I'm flying by the seat of my pants these days. So I don't take any constructive notes <clears throat> to to kind of work on while we're, while we're recording. The only notes I have are like one liners for this. So I failed to say that crocodiles and alligators just as a concept in the film way more successful than probably any other animal just in terms of like shoots shots on target like batting average if you show me a crocodile film chances are i'm gonna like it if you show me a shark film chances are i'm gonna i'm gonna like it although they'll they'll be slightly slightly less if you show me i don't know a bear film possibly may fail or a snake film Possibly my film, but crocs like there's rogue, there's Blackwater, Blackwater, Water Abyss, Crawl. They, I can, I, I can watch them all, and I don't mind that some of them are dumb. Like, but this one is dumb, but you know, it's, it's just big dumb and uh, what almost said full of cum, you know, like just because uh, Catherine Bigelow, just why not? Um, point break. <laughs> For those who don't know, um, <laughs> it's young, young and dumb. Anyway, anyway, what I was saying is Lake Placid rocks. It's such a good film. So easy on the uptake. Snaps like this, and it, it as a, you're totally on the ball with this. The cast is what makes this movie work. Like you can forget the croc. It's just watch Bridget Fonda with with Brendan Gleeson on a boat and Oliver Platt. These these three just bickering. Is just good enough. It's a good enough comedy that you could forget that there's a crocodile in the in the lake, and then at the same time, it almost feels like it's an like the crocodile is almost like an add-on to it because it's not like it's just the crocodile is going out of the out of its way to ruin people's lives in the because the lake is like secluded from and sequestered from the outside world. It's not like it's just it, it's it's amity and it's just oh no, it's our Fourth of July weekend. We're not gonna make any money. No, there's no like there's no tangible panic in the town. There's one scene where Brendan Gleeson's very creepy and, and trying to kind of explain something to a bystander. It's just there's a monster in the No, it's just an accident. There's no monster in the lake. And he's he looks like he's a you know, Harrison Ford that you can't afford. <laughs> <laughs> he has this sort of energy of a young Harrison Ford. I like him. It's just he he has this sort of the fugitive energy only just like if, if Harrison Ford just let himself go a little bit. <laughs> 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 Gang Brendan Gleeson. 
but I, I adore this film. It's great. The crocodile looks great when it when it comes out. The CGI and practical effects work quite well for what it is. Although the CGI shots dated, but that's just the '90s for you. That's just what it is. Like the, there's no such thing as a '90s film with great CGI effects that stand the test of time. Doesn't. It's never gonna happen. But overall, I can watch this tomorrow and I'll have just as good a time. I don't know. I had such a good fun watching this. So why are people sleeping on this? Please tell me. Like what's what's going on? Because people hated it in 1999. I don't feel I don't I don't feel like there's much clamoring about like look at this film from 1999. Like look Lake Placid. Why don't why don't people watch this? It's not like one of those film cult classics on Twitter, for instance, where people are actively championing. But it's great. Why? Why? Uh, tell me. It, you know I have. I have no idea on this. Uh, I just want to check Letterbox here to see how many reviews it has. I wonder if it oh. has been sort of is sort it been reappraised? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. How many? I mean, it's surely it was yeah. popular enough that it spawned a franchise, but now it may actually be like a victim of its own success in that regard. Yeah. Because it's just, oh, it has five sequels. All of them are dog shit, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's it's well enough known, but, you know, it's not like there's a ton of reviews on here, like mm-hmm. 10,000 for a studio picture. That Anyway. 2.7 sort of over, over average rating and sort of the spike is at 2.3, I think. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't have an answer, and I'm guilty of it because I saw this in theaters, and I don't really have too much recollection except to think, uh, you know, it was fine. I sort of remember that uh, Betty White was in it, and that was sort of cute. But I don't really have strong memories of this. And I was thinking about this, you know, after watching this, that you know, we're we're going to talk about this, and this is go- this has got to be a topic of conversation: is why on earth is this not viewed at least by some segment with you know great affection and it really isn't and i sort of wonder if especially at the time if there is an element of exhaustion that just people felt the the exhaustion of sassy lethal weapon type of banter the exhaustion of jurassic park ripoff stuff because you know in a way you know species has a similar type of formula and there's just sort of a (laughs) You know, it doesn't have a Michael Madsen sh- just jumping, jumping on cars, cars and just doing doing forward <laughs> rolls out of elevators. <laughs> but there's just there's a lot of this type of movie, and I just wonder if there's an element of exhaustion for this type of thing because it's an animal attack movie. We've been doing animal attack movies now for 25 years, and maybe it just didn't feel fresh. I I don't really have an answer to this question that satisfies me that i like because this is really good but i just wonder if people had enough it's an animal attack movie and Mm. it's you know sort of a thriller in the woods and you've got this type of sassy banter and there was plenty of that but i would say now looking at it the films that i think of right right now that feature these things don't really do it as well as lake placid and i yeah Mm -hmm. I would say now, yeah, people are sleeping on this and it's sort of bizarre to me. And I was in that group that thought it was fine and and nothing more. But I think now looking back, it's totally memorable. I think that there's a lot of 
pizzazz in this. I think this is awesome. I mean, I hate to come back again to Jaws because it's my favorite film, but there's there's something about having a bunch of people on in in a sec, sort of sequestered location, like a bunch of people on a boat having this kind of chemistry. Like when you have Hooper and Quint and Brody, they have this chemistry and they just bicker as well. Like when you oh I see you brought your rubbers, <laughs> it's just because Brody has these massive wellies. <laughs> it's just. Uh, and these, I, I, I just feel like this, again, it's it's tapping into a formula and it's fine. But I have a feeling also that maybe people were either tired of this um, sort of self-awareness in film, but also is it, is, it, is it possible that the film is not big enough? As in like, after Jurassic Park and Titanic, people were like, this is just small localized storytelling like what what we're after is a big blockbuster like it's in the same year that the matrix came out which was you know arguably a massive success right is this it that this is just too small for its own good because like you don't you couldn't argue that there's a lot of in, in terms of dramatic or um entertaining set pieces underpinning the film there's maybe two sequences with the crocodile in here where you actually see the crocodile uh where there's special effects on display and yeah other than that it's just a comedy no is that part of it that there's just sort of because i'm trying uh, yeah i th- i think you're onto something a, a little bit and and i think that this is becoming an end of an era like we talked about it with the end of days episode in the context of oh, the super we did the Superman, you know, Schwarzenegger type of hero and the the leading man and what he looks like and the onslaught of the the IP and the franchise and, you know, CGI. So you've got the the Matrix trilogy and Star Wars and Harry Potter. Those things are taking off and it's probably leaving films like slasher films and animal attack films and you know, some romantic comedy, some of these staples that have been around for 20 years that Hollywood had learned how to milk. Um, it's, they started going on in new directions, courtesy of, you know, Peter Jackson and Lucas and uh, the Wachowskis and these other franchises and Pixar is taking off. So I just think maybe there's something to this, that this is the type of film that is sort of left behind this and slashers. And, you know, it's just because People had had a fill of them over the last 20, 25 years. And it's it's a sin because this one is a really good example of it. <laughs> so it's like all those elements uh, matured uh, here. And in terms of the special effects, like in the 90s, these CGI effects, they're usually crap. But this is another example, mm-hmm. just like we were saying in Alligator, for the longest while in this, there is restraint in terms of showing you the creature. You don't get a lot of it. And the suspense element and the the thrills and the terror is handled very, very nicely, like legitimately. So, uh, yeah, I in terms of... Yeah, God, that's a good question because this film is so good. Uh, but I think that it's just... It's, it's reached its maturity. This type of film has reached its maturity mm-hmm. and this is an unfortunate victim of that. I mean, I, f- I feel this is almost unfortunately, maybe, the, 
I'm, I'm now looking at a poster, and the poster is just a massive crocodile mouth, right? You see, so maybe this just... Because you could market this. I could, I could, I could make a trailer for this film that could convince you that this is going to be a gruesome horror film about this crocodile that's eating people. And in, in fact, it starts like this. There's this scene where this <laughs> Brendan Gleeson is just fishing out a half of his friend, and it actually looks like, oh, is it going to follow the formula of Jaws? And there's the autopsy scene with the tooth, and then there's Hooper lady who's who's pretty much Bridget Fonda, she's the she's the museum person who's just sent in to kind of help out. And, oh, I suppose in this scenario, Oliver Platt is the quint. <laughs> and, um, which I'm not sure how I feel about this comparison, but, but I feel this is a red herring, because this movie is a comedy. And then you could see like there is, there is a, there is a scene where the deputy is just I don't know because what what Bill Pullman and Oliver Platt they go on a boat and they they go in into the into the lake to look for the croc in the water. It's arguably a stupid thing to to do, right? Because it you're in the animals element and they have these sort of the speaker underwater with um, crocodile hatchlings sound to bait it. And then the deputy just then after after a few jump scares where you don't even see the crocodile. It's all it's all red herring in its own right. But then he pulls out this sort of speaker and then the crocodile comes out and just takes his head off, like slices it off, like Johnny Mnemonic sort of laser thread style, just whoop gone. I think this is supposed to be funny. I think it works as both. Like it's, it's like it's. That's a really good scene. I like that scene and the suspense works, but it because it's in a way so hyperbolic, it's yeah, it, it is it's funny. I, I agree. I, I think it works as both though, because it, it does it does hit those beats for me that this is suspenseful and I'm also questioning. Gleason says, Why the hell are you going in the water? Like he even says it. And sure enough, they do, and they don't have a plan to capture it, they just want to observe it. Stupid. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> you know. yeah. You know, like, anyway, that's... and Gleason is just this sort of oh, you're sarcastic, funny thing. Oh, you're gonna get along just fine. Yeah, <laughs> like to me, it works. It works both ways because yeah, it's it's over the top, and uh, yeah, it is sort of funny actually. <laughs> no, I'm just I, I'm 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 watching this because oh, I watched this twice in the span of a week, and then the first time I think I watched it kind of as like this is a Jaws ripoff, and I watched it as such, and I had a lot of fun watching this. And then once you start wa- watching this as almost like a parody of it it, it it becomes even funnier because you can see how their the banter is almost like not they're not trying to recreate the banter uh that you know from the 70s or they're not trying to maybe cash in on the sort of the lethal weapon sort of the sassy ensemble they're 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 taking the piss they're they're Blowing it out of proportion the way like naked guns blowing stuff out of proportion. Yep. It just okay. goes into this these ridiculous levels that you're not supposed to like take seriously. People don't have conversations like this ever. And then it it feels like this is this is for me this is purposeful. Like this is Steve Miners directing a comedy and David Kelly's just wrote a comedy for me. <laughs> and it's comedic because I'm I'm laughing my ass off, like start to yep. finish. Seventy five minutes of uninterrupted laughter. 
to me, the parallel is closer to Jurassic Park with the characters because Oliver Platt is the eccentric rich guy with the helicopter. And okay, you've got, um, you know, the, the Laura Dern and Sam Neill thing is a little bit closer maybe to the mm-hmm. relationship with um, uh, Bridget Fonda oh. and, and Pullman a little bit oh, here. Okay. So it, to, to me, it's, it's a little bit closer to that. Does but- Gleason the Goldblum of this film? Probably. <laughs> the gold, the Goldblum of the film, and in a way, that's an element uh, too, because he's sort of this, you know, disconnected scientist. Why are you bringing Jeff Goldblum here, you know, and putting him like he doesn't have a skill set that's necessarily useful, you know, he just has an opinion, and that's sort of the idea of bringing Bridget Fonda, like she looks at fossils. So the the point of bringing her to an active investigation for. A crocodile in you know the middle of Maine is is sort of silly. So it, to me, that those they're more Jurassic Park elements than necessarily mm-hmm. uh, direct parallels to uh, Jaws. But but regardless, it's it's still this this banter which the film just lives and breathes. And I think that putting Betty White into the middle of it too, like this sitcom queen, uh, putting her in the middle of this is just a, a stroke of of genius and david kelly i think he he did that periodically with with casting i don't know what his say he said in in the casting of mm-hmm. lake placid but in a way it sort of fits because you know his casting of william shatner in uh boston legal brilliant his his casting of robert downey jr in ally mcbeal brilliant so he, he does have that uh you know really good sense of of impact of of various characters so betty white if he had any say in that i think that's sort of a stroke of genius as well putting putting her in here Mm -hmm. and i think that strengthens your claim that this is comedy first before it's anything else yeah it's a what was it it's a it's a horror comedy which one it's a comedy horror or is a horror comedy i don't know which one it's a comedy with a horrific elements as opposed to horror with with a little bit of levity i think right i think i'm just a little bit on the other side of that i think it's i see it a little bit more as the animal attacks and the thriller element first and then the comedy um but so when betty white's feeding the cow to the alligator to the to to the crocodile you're still firm it's like this is still a horror film that's just funny yes (laughs) yes that's me (laughs) The crocodile's just like sitting there, just smiling. Just, yeah. There's a cow coming. <laughs> but what I'm gleaning from this, I think, is you're one foot on one side of the line, and I'm one foot on the other side of the line. I think. No, yeah, I, yeah, I, I see that, but it's just I, I feel this. I don't know, but to me, this makes it almost. It makes it refreshing. Yeah, it makes it interesting, and equally, I, I'm starting now to understand like why people probably didn't respond to it because maybe people weren't really sort of marketed to see a comedy in this because it's also hard r as well because yeah. it's violent <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's and, violent. and that's true too like in terms of its marketing i don't know that there was too much marketing to the whole levity side of it you know except that you know it might have been sort of well known trying to remember well known and quirky enough that betty white is in it but you know to me betty white she is swears yes absolute <laughs> yeah. but to me like her involvement that's its own thing but the you know the the bread and butter is the comedy that comes from bridget fond oh my god she's on fire in this like she, oh i've got lines i've yeah, got lines i, I think we did similar note taking hold on 
This is this is one of my favorites. Hey Kevin, what's going on? What's happening? How's it going? How's how's your family? Good? Great. So nice to see you. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> how you meet her. <laughs> yeah, and just her inflection is just so perfect in this. Like she takes a line. So she takes a line. You want me to go to Maine and turns it into comic gold. <laughs> like she's so great. Hold on. In the same line when you want me to go to Maine. I don't do field work, and even if I did, Maine, I'm allergic to timber. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gold. Like she is fantastic in this. So good, so nasty, and I don't know Bridget Fonda ever striking this chord with me. You know, obviously, I saw this in 1999, but I didn't remember this comic brilliance. In Jackie Brown, she's a little bit. Um, almost uh, I'm like, okay. in Jackie Brown she's a little bit subtle, more subtle in terms yes. of being funny but she's also supposed to be a bit funny yeah she's a good actress and I recall her what's the uh, I recall liking her in The Road to Wellville as well as another one that I sort of liked her and I didn't like that movie but you know like she's a good actress but I don't remember this side of her I think she just puts it to another to another level and uh we don't remember her from The Godfather Part, part 3 when she was in bed with uh, Andy Garcia. She was the uh, uh, journalist. I don't remember that being funny. <laughs> no, she's not funny in there. She's just... but Yeah, she like she's a great uh, actress. I've never seen her as well. Oh, my. I remember a uh, single white female, I think she's in that. I'm, I sort of recall that that was pretty good. Oh, I know. Point of No Return is where I remember her. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, that was a that was a steamy not early nineties sort of VHS rental. Um, it's a good one, I think, because it's like a loose remake of uh, Nikita, right? Or, yes. or is it in the same sort of? I think so. Uh, yeah, but Bridget Fonda is just so good. Like I like her deli- her comedic timing. It's just like what a- so. Some museum sent you, huh? What are we all museum bigots in here? In Maine? Have you ever been so in one? <laughs> Have you ever been in one? That's, that's a good Just line. Like, like that's good writing too. And then yeah. Like what's it like to be a woman in the woods in Maine? I mean, the guys don't turn all horny on <laughs> or anything like they did in the deliverance. <laughs> oh, it's it's just it's line after line of of gold. It is. Yeah. It is. Never been to Maine before, huh? Oh, I have good hygiene and I'm I'm not welcome. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. I I agree. Like and there's a lot of that type of writing in the 90s, but it's not this rich. It's not delivered this well and you know, Bill Pullman in here, he's not the funny guy, but he does a great job because you need a straight man and he does a pretty good job sort of, you know, Totally someone alive. has to yeah, be right. Someone has to be the straight man. He does. He does a fantastic job here, you know, doing what he does too. And uh, yeah, I'm all over this, you know. And then you've got Oliver Platt, yeah. and I remember Oliver Platt had a. Bit oh, of let's a, go into Oliver. Hold on. Let's get into Oliver Hector. Platt. Like I remember, he would get sort of tiring in the '90s because uh, was it the Three Musketeers? And he was always sort of this mm-hmm. jokester and huckster. And I remember it sort of being annoying, but. Uh, but not here. Oh, my God. Like, and again, like maybe it's just a certain, uh, you know, perfect alignment of this dialogue and these actors and how they perform it. But, man, he's he's on fire in this. So much good material. 
so much good. I, he's, I know you're waiting. What, he, what line do you have in mind? He's, he's like the um, Herkimer Homoka in Congo almost. He's this sort of like <laughs> millionaire philanthropist. And then he's just like, you know, he just swoops in in this alligator painted helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and just, and he's, he's such a good counterpoint to Brendan Gleeson's yes. angry snarkiness. Because yeah. I don't know, they, 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 all I have is these bits of banter, like crocodiles don't swim in salt water, says Gleason. Well, then that'll be your little secret. <laughs> this is just yeah, such a good They hide line. that information in books, you know. Like, it's just so good. Yeah, he has so many good put downs. It's just oh, amazing. It's, it's gold. Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's, it's like, like we're getting lower. That's what happens when I land. <laughs> Yeah, that's another easy but great line. Sometimes it's nice to hear something from a stranger because you might take it more seriously. You're fat. <laughs> and like a line that has nothing to do with anything. It's just, yeah, it's so fun. I really like Oliver Platt in this. Oh, my God. Fun. Just, you know, but they, yeah, they yeah. all have this just so interestingly written and also like it just film peaks in whenever Bridget Fonda calls a guy a fuck shit yeah on the phone what did she, what did she say like, thank you it's so it's so rewarding to imagine my tax dollar finding its way to you you fuck shit <laughs> so good yeah agreed and then there's Barry and then there's also Barry White there's also Betty White yeah who's just yeah tell Tell me a couple. I didn't write down any of her lines, but she has some great ones. Oh, and yeah, like you said, like she is potty mouth. She's great in here. She was when, when Brendan Gleeson has, has a good line in there when he said, "Was he ill? Was he sick? Was he swallowed?" Yeah. <laughs> but then she's like, "Well, dig him up if you don't believe me, Sherlock." <laughs> just, that's a good line. Yeah. And also, she says, uh, "Thank you, Officer Fuckmeat." It's a good one. Uh, and also, if, if I had a dick, this is why I'd tell you yes. to suck. <laughs> I mean, why she's is 79 at the time or 78? Yeah, Brilliant. Like coming out of an 18 year old Betty White is just bizarre, but it's so good. I really, yeah, <laughs> I love this. This is great. This is great. Like, I haven't had this much fun watching a stupid comedy i mean it's not even like a comedy that you know is a comedy like you watch this and it's like oh, it's a comedy but <laughs> a, a crocodile eating people and taking people's legs off people's legs off it's just great yeah yeah i loved it i love this oh my god it was a good good time yeah yeah so why don't people love it i don't get it i, I don't understand it yeah i i think it's just an element of exhaustion honestly like but what we see here, which was very common in the 90s, but it's so well done here, like these lines and this casting and the chemistry, it's not always this good in the 90s. Like, it's just so fantastic. And Brendan Gleeson, like, he doesn't have as many zingers in terms of one-liners, but man, the, the look on his face, like, like just as the, <laughs> the chemistry, whenever, whenever someone sasses him, it's like, like, he scowls and there's this and he growls sometimes <laughs> even just he, like he has this sort of like angry uh grumpy harrison ford <laughs> chemistry yeah he's <laughs> he's got this he this look that i imagine i must have be, uh, every once in a while because 
if I don't say anything, I try not to lose my cool, but my kids will come up to me. You're mad at me. <laughs> so I must have some sort of look on my face. <laughs> you're you're yeah, mad at me. Also, and that's Brendan Gleason. Like, please, please don't hurt me if I, if, if I let you down. <laughs> Do you promise? Do you promise? I lied. <laughs> yeah. Which also leads to a bizarre sequence with a bear. That's a nice moment to talk about because, yeah, and, and little yeah. moments like that, um, you know, sort of anchor me in this idea that it's an animal attack movie first. Because that's a great, that's a great moment. It's a jump scare. It comes out of nowhere and it's this fantastic moment with a bear. And then the crocodile jumps out of nowhere I'm and happy that you grabs it moment. and pulls it in. Yeah, it totally <laughs> works for me. All right. Not you. It does not work. <laughs> Why not? It's so over the top. It's like the guy's head. Where is the bear coming from? I don't know. And then the bear is just charging at them and stops, turns around, and they have a standoff. Only for the crocodile to come out of nowhere and just eat the bear. And But what the be best payoff is Bridget Fonda commenting on this. Do you remember the face on the bear? <laughs> <laughs> This is surprise it was. This is like never in his life he probably suspected he would just fall prey to a crocodile. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's totally awesome. I mean, it's yeah. actually not too bad a CGI. Like that would have been one of the big CGI shots in it too. There's probably a well, that, dozen or so. That, I think so. There's there's a few CGI shots that I didn't know they were CGI. There's a CGI shot where. Um, crocodile comes out of the water and then grabs the helicopter. Mm -hmm. and the helicopter is CGI. Okay. As well, so it's and they they did quite a lot of. This is why this cost like thirty million dollars to make. Because if you come, if you think about this, in the seventy eight minutes of actual runtime of the film. So if you disregard the credits, <clears throat> there's enough special effects to kind of just cost thirty million dollars, I suppose. Because I'm not sure how much they paid Bill Pullman. <laughs> probably not a lot um, but what I'm trying to say is they they are on record for doing a lot of work with trying to CGI the water around the crocodile effect okay so it yeah. doesn't look like it's plastered into the frame like <laughs> like plastic versus anaconda <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I don't know. It looks con like it looks. Con I mean, there is a scene where it doesn't look convincing when the when the crocodile's outside of the water on the beach and turns around, swipes its tail, and then just kind of just cuts to an actual physical tail just smashing into Bridget Fonda and yeah. then throwing her into the water. That scene where the crocodile turns around and just <sighs> it looks odd. Fair enough. That makes me so. Something we didn't mention about Alligator that it did cross my mind when I was watching it is the 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 puppet tail that they would have flail against people that knocked people over. That was fairly well done in Alligator. Um, and mm -hmm. The reason that you're sort of making me think of this now is I did watch Alligator 2 this week, and that's something that did not work. The tail was this mm -hmm. slow-moving thing the tail looked okay but it just it looked like a, a branch or something that was slowly moving across <laughs> the screen and then so, then you would cut to someone like flying against the wall it was really really awkward so that the tail movement 
which is easy to take for granted because it's fairly well done in Alligator and it's fairly well done uh, here to a point, uh, is not done well in Alligator 2. So, sorry. I think I'm just checking because I feel Alligator 2 was way cheaper. No, $3 million. Yeah. So I don't... Probably somewhere. Was it straight to video Alligator 2? Oh. I like it. <laughs> Limited theatrical release. It was made with the video market in mind. Then. I think so. Yeah, I, I, this is something I need to watch when, we're, when, when we finish recording. This is something I wanted to kind of watch and I didn't have time to do. But I will say this, like there's something in alligator you don't see this because I think whenever the, the alligator is in a full view, it's either a small alligator on a miniature set or cane holder yeah. in a suit. <laughs> so there's an actual person piloting a, a, an I don't know, uh, the, the, the alligator in here where, the, where you have, this is a, a pet beef of mine, I think with so CGI, whenever this computer generated special effects of animated and an, animated animals walking, I think the, there's this sort of tendency with animators to over animate certain movements to over exaggerate certain movements. Like, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's almost it's almost like it's a vestige of animating for cartoons, where in something like Toy Story or something, when someone blinks, they don't just blink; they'll just move their entire face. So, so it's almost like a, a it's a bit of a showboating sort of situation where they have to show it's like, oh, so this thing's gonna move, and this muscle's gonna contract here, and this there's gonna be a wrinkle there. And then whenever this crocodile is on the beach walking, and you can see that this is a CGI effect, not a practical puppet, you could see that there are just these over exaggerated sort of paw movement and or when people listening moves. can't see you and you were actually sort of dancing to illustrate it which was great <laughs> it's a great radio right yeah we should we should start doing this on video <laughs> sorry continue with people uh, but but yeah but this is this is how i feel like this is where it, it's not that it starts losing me but this is how i feel like this is the 90s special effects, how dated they are and how unrealistic they look in the long run. Agreed. It's kind of just yeah. of a detriment. Yeah, it didn't stand out. Yeah. I didn't quite, I didn't really notice that. So I wondered, like, I'd sort of like to watch this again sometime in the next couple mm -hmm. of weeks. So that'll probably... If you have an hour to kill, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like it'll, that'll be on my radar probably. I didn't notice it on this viewing. I felt like, like mostly the, the special effects shots here are fairly brief except maybe the uh the, the the bear attack is the one that stands out mm -hmm. as sort of significant in its duration um but mo yeah so anyway i didn't notice it, it too much in here but in, i in but general, i appreciate what you're saying and i agree in general the special effects are brief anyway yeah. when you think about this because you you don't see the crocodile for i want to say like three quarters of the film you only you start seeing it uh, uh, when it attacks Oliver Plath and the uh, law enforcement officer with wonderful boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you, and you see another sort of effect. I think it's a CGI effect when, when Betty White's feeding it a cow. That's also when you see the crocodile. <laughs> and then there's the finale. So, because again, it's a comedy. It's about these people in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, digging holes. I'm just like, what a, what an optimist, like digging a hole for a very tiny crocodile. <laughs> or, but yeah, so I feel like this, 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 this is part of the allure that you can almost just disregard the fact that there aren't, you know, that it doesn't give you too much time to hate it because these special effects are few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's a great film. I don't know. I've I've gone through my list of quotes. I don't know what else I could say about this. I I really enjoy this. And I really, I I feel like this is like Stan Winston's studio kind of did a good enough job. Yeah. I think putting the crocodile effect together because like, but then then again, in the ending, it's kind of just, it's a bit weird. I don't know. What, 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 where do you stand on the ending? Ah, uh, you know, I sort of hummed and hawed because it, in one way, like at one point, I'll say it. I wonder, let me look at my top and bottom list. I wonder where it ended up because there's this whole business of the crocodile ending up stuck inside the elevator, uh, the helicopter rather. And, mm-hmm. and then you've got a second croc that's coming into it as well, which is sort of uh, weird. So, I'm fine with with it, to one. but for a while, I I hummed and hawed about putting crocodile getting stuck inside the helicopter on one list because it was sort of a unique image and it was sort of over the top and maybe it should be on my top, but at the same time, it was sort of silly, and so maybe I should put it on my bottom. Anyway, it did. I'll, I'll leave. I'll leave you in suspense. It's on one of the lists, um, but I did go back and forth because does that work for me? It's sort of funny. It's sort of weird. Um, so it did end up on, on one of my lists. Um, I'm not sure what I make of the whole idea of there being a second one, because that's just sort of a an oddity out of out of nowhere that doesn't really do anything. It doesn't offend me too much because the film is, you know, so otherwise, you know, fine. But I, I don't feel we need it as just sort of an extra oomph in mm-hmm. any way, you know, almost like the this the slasher villain who dies and comes back to life that's sort of what it it gives us that extra moment oh there's a second one that's been right there all along (laughs) you know that's it's has that sort of impact but it's brief enough doesn't doesn't bother this is the it's this is the influence of anaconda yeah (laughs) maybe And now we're back to one because Brendan Gleeson just blows the other one away. <laughs> but then I have a thing that this is just my my weird observation that I kind of feel like the film kind of loses a lot of its sort of momentum in that finale because the, its momentum is in comedic timing and comedic sort of chemistry between the people. And when these people have to actually deal with the crocodile, they don't joke around as much. So it feels like, okay, this is where it starts losing me. Have you actually felt this, like this as well? A, a little. It's not as it's not its strength because its its strength is the the chemistry that that these actors have with one another, and then the like you say the the comedic timing. Like that's that's where this is really sort of snapping along. Um, I, I find there's there are some good moments of the suspense and the animal attack thrills, like that stuff's there. But yeah, I would agree with the statement that. You know, the ending isn't as super strong because that's not the piece that's working the best, but it works fine. And, it, you know, it's brief mm-hmm. and, you know, you've got these extra elements in the end, like getting stuck in a helicopter and having a second one show up out of nowhere. So that that's to me, that's I don't know. It's almost what I expect from a Hollywood movie in the 90s, some sort of nonsense like that. So it it, it doesn't offend me, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, feel, I, I don't know. I, 
to me, this it, it it's more of a comedy, and I kind of feel like the ending kind of just undermines it, especially that. I don't know how I feel about this sort of because I feel like the story is trying to pushing this sort of like love interest between Bridget Fonda and Bill Pullman, and it kind of feels like it's almost unneeded. <laughs> but anyway, I kind of like when they riff almost too much. Like I like Bridget Fonda when she's angry at <laughs> <the> people. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Again, like that's an element I sort of come to expect from this this type of film. Yeah. It's eighty minutes, so. You know, it's not too bad. And she's still got her sassy moment at the end. And Bill Pullman's still playing the sort of the straight man to everyone else's craziness where she basically asks him to hit on her and <laughs> he moves the duffel bag over. So, you know, there's sort of a cute moment there. It all works well enough. I know. I, I don't know. It's Bridget Fonda. I'll be like, yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do it. Anyway, that's, I'm kind of out of notes for this, so I think it's a good time, don't you think? Yep. Final takes. Sure thing. Yeah, my final take is that twenty some years after having seen this, I am thrilled to have returned to the lake. This was a <laughs> a great dip in the lake. I loved it and thought it was just quirky and fun and great. It was great fun watching really good actors uh, work on their craft and and have fun themselves because they clearly are. So getting to see them work on the, the chemistry with one another was, you know, a big part of the enjoyment in this. This is a solid enough film when it comes to the animal attacks. And it's just that much more golden because you've got this uh, quirkiness and this really rich comedy happening within. And yeah, looking back people were sleeping on it at the time i don't think we came up with a good theory necessarily as to why uh exhaustion from the 90s films i don't know it's really uh, you know there's a lot of elements from 90s films and in lake placid but they're really good here and it's a nice tight 80 minutes and it's just sheer enjoyment and none of the bad stuff from the 90s is plentiful enough to ruin any of this for me i thought this was great I wonder, this, they should have hired Kevin Williamson to screamify this film and then just make sure that this crocodile is not actually a crocodile. It's a man in a suit who's taking a v- revenge for what they did to him last summer <laughs> or something like this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it kind of feels like it's almost because the sort of the screams and like the sort of late, nine, late 90s horror revival were also trying to be a little bit more sassy and maybe that's also a part of the sort of allure as well. But I like the sassy horrors. But I'll say that, yeah, it's a it's a film that people are sleeping on and I I, I, I strongly advise, nay, implore you to go go out and see it. Like, this, is some, this is something, this is something you should just watch. If you have like an hour and 20 minutes to kill, on your like commute to work, you know, on the train, even if you have, if your commute is forty minutes, just forty minutes each way, and 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 you're there, so you know you won't get, you know, there's no nudity in the film, so it's, it's not like you're gonna make us make a scene out of this. But I don't know, Lake Placid is great. I haven't seen this, and then when you say like, oh, I liked it twenty years ago, and I realized nineteen ninety nine was twenty two years ago, twenty three years ago, and it makes me feel old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so, so, the time flies. Wow. Yeah, and you're the, anyway. you're the kitten in the room, so, yeah, I feel that. <laughs> Good Nico is not with us today because it will be even weirder. It's like uh, there's like two in this the game. Three generations, the three generations of film nerds getting together. But this would be a good <laughs> film, actually, Nicolo, for your commute because I think you said it's 40 45 minutes to and from. Perfect. If you if you mm-hmm. haven't seen this, check it out, man. I think he did. Okay. Oh, hold on. Did he did 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 Nicolo leave a note as well? Hold on, let me check. Later that same evening. Haha, <laughs> found it. Yeah, Nick. So, so we should have really done this in the beginning. I'm gonna do this. Hello, Jakub and Randy and all our wonderful listeners. This is Nicolo Grasso. Once again, I'm not there, unfortunately, because I am, well, or maybe fortunately, I am enjoying a bit of a holiday for once, uh, a week off. But that doesn't mean that I didn't watch one of the films that's being discussed today. And said film is Lake Placid. Now, I did drop some of my thoughts very briefly in last week's episode. But uh, Lake Placid is so much fun. Uh, compared to something like Anaconda, which is more schlocky and just bizarre in the way that it's put together, despite still being very entertaining, um, Lake Placid is just a competently made very fun, very predictable and tropey creature feature. I love the gore in this, it's surprisingly bloody. Um, I really enjoyed all of the Jaws references and I'm, I'm sure Jakub is going to fall head over heels over. <laughs> and and I thought it was just very solid, like I love the cast, I love me some Brendan Gleeson and Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda. Um, I really liked the, all of the action with the monster, with this massive alligator. Uh, but I go back to, like, while I was watching it, and even afterwards, because it's been a week since I saw it, like, I go back to just one thing. It was very fun. Does it reinvent the wheel? No. Is it even as, I don't know, like, oddly structured and written as Anaconda? Heck no. Uh, is it maybe a bit too predictable for its own good? Yes. But, you know, it's still an enjoyable, entertaining, 80-minute ride with Betty White feeding a gigantic alligator with cows. So, you know, uh, not something that has to be taken seriously and something that I surprisingly enjoyed. So, back to you guys. Apologies for doing this at the end of the episode, but there is, I just remembered. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Nick, for sending that in. Sorry for forgetting that you did so. <laughs> it's great. Jesus Christ, I'm such a mess. Anyway, well, yeah. Well, we're super happy that he's on board. Yeah, it's so. Oh, I mean, you should have been here. <laughs> should have been here for this. Oh well. Oh well. But I don't know. It, it, but it just it just shows you that you know we're you know three peas in a pod. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's time to kind of wrap this up. I like you liked it. I liked it. Top threes. Okay. I really like the beaver dam at the start. I like the look of the beaver dam. I like the beaver jump scare. And I like the business of Gleason just sitting on the boat while he's waiting for the diver to come back and he's listening to, I think I love you. So what am I so afraid of? It's just great. It sets the tone for the whole thing. It's uh, lovely. Um, I will uh, just 
as a num as number two, yeah, I think it's Kelly's writing. I think that he has a sort of an understanding on good, snappy, snarky, sarcastic dialogue and how to write banter. I think he did that well in a number of his shows. And I think that's really rich right here. So uh, David E. Kelly's writing. Um, and finally, I will say, oh, and my honorable mention for my tops uh, was the crocodile getting stuck in the helicopter. I thought that was so ridiculous that it was so fun. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. And my number this, one. This sentence, you have to say, crocodile getting stuck in a helicopter just makes no sense, but it makes total sense as well. Yeah, it makes total sense here. Um, <laughs> finally, I really like the Oliver Platt stare down with the croc where you've got some you know, comedic moments about, you know, they're, they're landing in a little inlet and why are we going down? Well, that's what happens when you land and there's some good dialogue. But then again, like, I don't know why he's getting into the water, but he does, he gets into the water and there's some nice suspense as the creature is drifting towards him. And then he's got this self-inflating raft that he uses to sort of get out of the situation. Yeah, it's just a solid moment. So I'm going to throw that out there as my mm -hmm. number one. Awesome. Awesome, 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 awesome. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to where to go with this of top three because I, I can just have a top three Bridget von der lines and top three Oliver from Oliver Platt, and you could I could have top three Betty White lines, Oliver Platt lines, and even Brendan Gleeson, <laughs> uh, who's also I think with the, with the helicopter being trapped. I think when this the cavalry arrives at the end and it's just what happens? We trapped him with our chopper. <laughs> See, yeah, good moment. <laughs> this is so good. This is so stupid. Um, so act, actual top three moments. So I'm, I'm, I did name, I did mention all these one-liners, which are all great. They're all top three moments in their own right. But let's just say actual moments. Bridget Fonda stuck underwater, and the and the, and the crocodile trying to snap her against the tree. Good moment. We mentioned this, Betty White feeding a cow to a crocodile and the crocodile looking like it's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> Just like meat. Mm. Um, and then the best moment that just in terms of like suspense is what you mentioned, the sort of this stare down between the croc and Oliver Platt, because I think this is the first time you actually see the scale of the animal. I think it is. Because before yeah. I just had just a face kind of just coming out of water and just taking Ferguson's head off. Um, I think it's Ferguson. I don't know. So the deputy's head just, just, but then this is the first time you see there's Oliver Platt and there's, there's this sort of animatronic puppet in the same f frame, which is this massive animal and takes forever as well. And it's growling. Just go, it's great. So, that's my top threes. Okay. I contained myself to three. Good man. Because I listed all the one liners like an hour ago. So bottoms. Okay. Um I had a note here, but I don't even remember what it means. The scene outside the ambulance, so I won't mention that, I guess. Can't even remember what I said but that's when they when when, when Bridget Fonda gives Brendan Gleason a kiss. Maybe I don't know. Okay. Disregard that. Um okay. Brendan Gleason hitting on the young woman in the town. They're very briefly, it's not even a town. They're just at this little country store. And this, you know, this young woman comes up and says, oh, I heard there was an attack at the lake. 
and Gleason steps in trying to be suave and you know he gives this sly male slutty smile and he's totally hitting on her and it's just so cheesy <laughs> he goes I'll handle this yeah. so and it, again like these are not even all that bad of moments this is such a great film but anyway that was slightly clumsy I mentioned this line earlier Oliver Platt he says to Brendan Gleeson maybe it's better sometimes to hear it from someone else someone who doesn't know you so well you're fat so I think that's hilarious but where why this is on the bottom list is Oliver Platt is heavier <laughs> so is that not bad form seriously it's just you know was it the kettle calling no yeah the pot calling kettle black um and is it in the same scene where um Brendan Gleeson's grieving after losing his friend and then just goes like well and, and this is a time for Oliver Platt for just like well here's here's what happened to me <laughs> <laughs> no this is shortly after Oliver Platt arrives and and uh, one moment which I thought was hilarious which we didn't mention a, a great line from Oliver Platt was for no reason he just says to everyone in the three or four canoes oh she and i slept together you know just out of nowhere <laughs> and then i think you're going to go with this so monologue i know i'm a i'm a fat rich not fuck man wacko who has as grounded as a street pigeon <laughs> <laughs> yeah what was yeah. that from um and he come it comes out of the tent because I think they're they're planning to um, to trap the animal. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just, like, it's just I, I, yeah, it's weird line. It's weird. Um, but anyway, I do love the moment where Oliver Platt says that Bridget Fonda and I had sex, and she's like, "No, we didn't." Well, I'm not that good in bed, so they never remember. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> anyway, Pullman in here, I find he's great, and you do need a straight man, but uh, he's wasted a little bit. He's not quite given uh, enough of the same fun in the script. So I'm sort of grasping at straws here for, for low points. So I'll throw that out as my, my last one. Pullman is great. And this is sort of a, a great era for him, the late nineties, because I loved his work in just the year before this zero effect, I think. And I guess lost highway was that year too. So this is a great era for Pullman. And anyway, he, he doesn't have as much. Independence day. Yeah. <laughs> not a fan of id4 <laughs> no no i'm not an iron to this film <laughs> <laughs> anyway could you find any bottoms to share oh yeah yeah okay. i've got some so uh, honorable mention honorable mention because you mentioned this to uh Br- i have brendan gleason being creepy <laughs> <laughs> this is so this is an accident <laughs> um the severed head with a snake coming out of it. It feels like this this is a franchise staple because when we watched the Lake Placid versus Anaconda, there was also a similar scene where someone blatantly threw a head, <laughs> and it kind of looks like it just falls out of a, out of a bush out of nowhere for no reason, and then we forget all about it. Could just not be there. It's fine. Yeah. And the only reason it's there is, is for them to look in, in the direction of Betty White's house and see them see her feet and count the crocodile. <laughs> um, so, so that's one. One that really bothers me is at the very end, they have this moral conundrum 
of like, don't destroy it. Look at it. It's a, like, don't, like, what's, what's happening? <laughs> like, why are they now fighting over whether to shoot the animal or not? Like, just, just do it. And then all of a sudden the second croc comes out and then Brendan Gleeson just blows it <laughs> with, his, with his special rifle. Um, but the worst for me is the bear versus croc scene. It makes no sense. The bear no. just charges at these people, turns around, stands on its hind legs, and then just gets swiped by a CGI crocodile. I, I understand the CGI effect in there is respectable because it's halfway kind of covered in water, but it makes no sense. It's, it could not. It could just be not there, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't even mind. Just why is it there? I think it's I a take. It. Is it not a take on the edge? Remember that? Like, because there's that famous bear actor that Ooh. that was around in the late '90s, and uh, sort of had a became famous because of the edge. But he was in a couple other movies as well. And I sort of halfway take it as a bit of a throwdown to that. Okay, well, we'll see your bear, and we'll raise you a crocodile. <laughs> I mean, oh, I thought this was. I mean, is it is it about? Oh, I'm just googling the edge and stuff. The edge, better known as the edge, is or simply edge is an English-born Irish musician, singer, and songwriter. <laughs> is best known as the lead guitarist of YouTube. <laughs> Different the edge. Yeah, not that the one. Film. Lee Tam. No, I'm just one. Lee Tam. Is the edge about a bear? Well, it's about uh, Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin are stranded in the wilderness, and there's a bear that is sort of following them around. All right, good movie. There's one for the list for the B list. We should probably put it on the list. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm wondering what is is this some is this the same relationship as um like Jaws two had with Orca? Oh, because like, there's a scene in Jaws two where there's this sort of carcass of an orca on the on on the beach, and it's kind of like we're better than you are. <laughs> so it's kind of like we we have a crocodile, and our crocodile eats your bear. <laughs> Yeah, it, it could be like I quite possibly. I don't know. I might be reaching, but I like that theory quite a bit because the edge was just a year or two before and the bear was a bit of a thing and was sort of a famous thing in that movie. And yeah, mm-hmm. screw your bear. We got a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> we have a crocodile in the woods. And by the way, did you know that? Oh, it's Maine this, Maine that. None of these film scenes were shot in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it probably is California or somewhere. Like this. I don't know. Quite possibly shot in British Columbia. Makes sense. Or maybe, or in B, maybe in BC, because there's you know, it's a bit more open spaces and there's and fewer people. And the tax <laughs> the tax credits in British Columbia were really good in the nineties. Oh, well, are they not good now? Uh, less so, but I think that after Schwarzenegger came into power he increased incentives in California because there was a lot of work mm-hmm. that was heading north, like X-Files, the first eight seasons, I think were shot in Canada. And, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of production in the nineties and Schwarzenegger wanted to bring a lot of that work back to California. So there's still a lot that's, that's done in BC, but uh, anyway, I think that this, this is a project that feels like it was shot in the, the foothills of the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's my bottom three: bear versus croc, and it's kind of like I don't know, I don't. It feels like it doesn't belong in a film where Betty White calls someone a fuckmate. She just <laughs> <laughs> tells someone to suck her dick. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Anyway, so yeah, so alligator, 
you, if you have Shudder, you can watch it on Shudder. I think it's globally available on Shudder. I think in America it's also on AMC+. Um, other than that, it's in physical media. And then Lake Placid, I don't think you can stream it anywhere. Unless in Canada it's somewhere. It is on the CTV app. There you go. Other than that, it, you can rent or purchase from the usual suspects. Or get it on DVD or Blu-ray. Alligator, I'm not sure if it's on Blu-ray. I don't think it is. I'm not even sure if Lake Placid is on Blu-ray. Maybe it's just on DVD. Um, but yeah, you can, you can. There's, there's ways to watch it. Now, we've done it. Let's just do our social. Randy, where can we find you? You can find your stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd. I'm slowly catching up on my. My big deficit of films on Letterboxd. You can find me there at Bratch7. I still have a ton of films to sort of catch up on, but I'm getting there. And every once in a while, I will write an article that you'll find on clapperltd.co.uk. Awesome. By the way, your your deficit of films on, on, on Letterboxd is piddly small in comparison to mine because I've got like 78. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've got like seven, so yes. Yeah, my deficit is manageable. So at this point, I'm just going to probably just spend like I don't know a Sunday morning and just do like a one-liner review for like all seventy of them to just you know clear the backlog. Anyway, you can find this backlog. You can't find it because it's in my it's in my notes. So, uh, but you can find the rest stuff on my letterbox. So letterbox dot com slash Jacob Flash, or you can find me on Twitter at Talk About Film. Also find me at flashfilm.com and also on Clapper. Occasionally I, I write something when that I f- that when whenever I feel I've, I've written something smart, I'll put it on Clapper. <laughs> it just doesn't feel like, like I've written anything smart recently. And that's it. Follow the show on, at Uncut Gems Pod everywhere, which is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Uh, also, head over to our website to find all the other episodes of everything we've done. So, uncutgemspodcast.com is our headquarters. So, you can go in there and just browse through all the stuff that we've done. And in, and also, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. Three bucks a month gives you access to bonus extra podcasts, which is monthly bonus tie-ins, monthly mini retrospectives where we take three, four films and talk about it in one episode, and our ongoing comprehensive David Lynch marathon we're doing because we love Nick and he and we know he loves David Lynch. He does he loves David Lynch more than anybody could possibly love David Lynch, I think. This the level of apologism to uh, season two of Twin Twin Peaks is just ridiculous. This <laughs> fun. <laughs> Hi Nick. <laughs> uh yeah. So go and subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, again, patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. And if you want to support us with a one-off donation, coffee.com slash uncutgemspod, ko-fi.com slash uncutgemspod is the place to go and where you can do this. And if you don't feel like spending money and you still would like to help out, you can always leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whenever whenever you see a mon- uh, an opportunity to leave us a star rating and or a review, please do so. Unless it's a one-star review, in which case you can keep it to yourself. Because one-star reviews don't help anyone. Don't, they, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, don't, don't leave, don't leave one-star reviews to anyone, unless this is a restaurant that you really hate. <laughs>
because they may actually, you know, make better food tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. It's late. Anyway, this concludes this episode of Uncle Jim's podcast. We talked about snakes. We talked about crocs. And next week, we're talking about piranhas. I think so. We're doing original piranha, Joe Dante's piranha, and piranha 2, colon, the spawning. I think that's, that's the original title of the film. And I don't know about you, but I'll try and do my best to squeeze in the remakes. With Alexander Raja. That's my plan. I don't know why. Anyway. In the meantime, so look out for that. Look out for next week for our, for our talk about Prince. I think this is also going to be just the two of us. Because Nick is still on holiday. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe, or maybe we'll have a guest lined up. I don't know. I need to find, I need to check. Anyway, so tune in to find out. Tune in to find out next week. We're talking about piranhas, and we'll find out, and you'll find out if we're all by ourselves or if we have someone else with us. But bottom line is, Nick is not going to be there next week either. So, in the meantime, you have a fabulous day, and we'll see you in this in 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 the lake. I don't know, in the sewers, being chased by crocodiles and alligators. Anyway, bye.